Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Chance Ellison. I'm Russell Howell. And this is Talk by Chance. We're going to talk all things movies, television, streaming, news, sports, all of that good stuff. And this week, we are continuing on in Movie March as we look at the fourth film in the Jurassic Park franchise, Jurassic World. <laughs> Uh, this movie that a lot of people have said a lot about. We never talked about uh, quite quite so much on this show. Uh, I'm looking you know, looking forward to that. Before we get into that, though, uh, we have a lot of things to get to today. Actually, not so much. Actually, it's like a pretty, pretty light show today, <laughs> aside from the movie and uh, our bit we're doing at the at the end. But first, what we gotta got talk about our first segment, the wonderful world of sports. And you know, we're we're, we're gonna we're, we're trying to expand into you know other sports besides just football. So. Uh, our first story is going to come from the world of soccer or football for our European audiences. Uh, and this is a big story because Italy, for the second time in a row, has failed to qualify for the World Cup. That's a big, yeah, that's a that's a big thing because they were like perennial powerhouses all the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a big deal, but it's also a big deal who they lost to. You're just like, oh, who took out Italy? And it's, it's, <laughs> they lost to North Macedonia. Of course. I mean, that's the first time. That's the first uh, country I think of. Yeah, where it's just like, yeah, yeah sure. I think we are where it's like, wait, who? It'd be like California losing to Rhode Island or something. Yeah, like, it's like, is that like, or I was like, is that even a country? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, just, just, just minor stats on this. So it was like, it, it's Italy took, like, they took 32 shots, five were on target. The final score was 1 0. Italy took 32 shots, five were on target, no goals. North Macedonia took four shots. Two were on target. One went in. Jeez. Italy looked like, uh, what's like stormtrooper accuracy? Stormtrooper accuracy. Ben Simmons accuracy. No, sure. Well, well, now Ben Simmons doesn't shoot. Ben Simmons is going to play for Macedonia. Um, but oh, yeah, I, funny thing when you go and just like look, like look at it, like Italy's team's face with a look when they're saying this, like, you got to be fucking kidding me. We just, we lost, to, we lost to who? Oh, yeah, we lost to those guys, huh? But hey, you know what? Get big props to North Macedonia. Uh, uh, they're, they're a fairly newer country, but hey, this is a this is a big win in their in their country's history. So, congratulations to you. Yeah. Uh, we also got to talk about the currently currently ongoing uh, NCAA men's basketball tournament tournament March Madness. Garbage. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not excited to talk about it right now because you know my my, my school lost. We lost. Let, in, we lost in brutal fashion, and we lost without mercy. But here's, but you know, here's here's why I'm not. Here's why I'm not stressing it. Uh, for uh, for right now, we got a young team, and we got a first year coach, and we're already this good, so we should be competitive for at least another one or two years. So that's fine. Uh, we got some teams already in the final four. Coach K's run is still continuing, which is surprising. Not that he can get this far in his final year. Uh, he's advancing. He was the winner of the brackets in the uh, well, because well, Gonzaga, Gonzaga crapped out against Arkansas, which and that, and that shattered uh, that and and that went in my bracket. Um, thing is, I think I knew better than to trust Gonzaga to do and anything. I, and I did too, but they won the championship last year, so I was thinking, you know what? Uh, they're number one overall. I'm thinking, you know. Uh, and I, I, I went, and after Kentucky lost, I really crushed the bracket. Um, I have, I have Kansas still uh, holding strong. That's really about it. Um, yeah. Uh, so Duke uh, made it to the Final Four. Villanova made it to the Final Four. Uh, in, in the uh, other two brackets, we got Kansas and Miami, who's having a really great run. 
uh, vying for the front for one spot in the final four. And on the other side, North Carolina, which is a, which is a big shock. Yeah. Uh, huge shock. After unseating the reigning champions, Baylor, uh, they're going to be there in the, they're in the final of their bracket, but also a bigger shock. St. Peter's. Holy shit. Yeah. They're bracket buster 2022, man. Only f- first 15 seed, I think in history to ever make the elite eights. Yeah, the first, and that's crazy if you think about it, because just how long the NCAA tournament's been going on, the fact that, you know, yeah, <clears throat> everybody that puts out brackets, <clears throat> usually one or two seeds, three seeds, four seeds are usually kind of the safe bet into the Final Four, but when you get a 15 seed in there, man, that really, really does a lot of havoc to, uh, to you know, brackets everywhere. You don't, you never expect that. You always expect, I had them out first game, you know, yeah, so. So did I. Yeah, so everybody does, and I mean it's it's nice to see that sometimes. Um, obviously, when it goes against you, it sucks, but um, you know, but it's, it's, rolling, it's, great, it's great for those players. It is great for those players. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know where I don't know who St. Petersburg is. I don't know where the fuck they are. But congratulations, yeah. you guys. Who are they lined up to play? Uh, they're lined up to play North Carolina right now, uh, and if like, they win, they play Duke. I, I, I'm not a big Duke fan. Um, little fun I, fact I, though. That, Nothing. I, I I would like to, I would like to see Duke go all the way because Coach K is last year. Yeah, I'm not. I just I just. I, just, I, I do like I do, I do like I do like Coach K. I like uh, Coach K is all right, but I just I'm not a big Duke guy, man. Um, little fun fact though for you and for the listeners. Uh, every time Villanova beats Michigan, uh, in the in the tournament, they end up winning the whole entire thing. Um, it happened once in the eighties. Uh, I believe they upset, well, they, they beat Michigan and then in 2018 here, just recently, uh, they beat Michigan in the finals. So every time Villanova and Michigan play head to head and Villanova wins, they end up winning the title. So just, just a little fun factor. Yeah. They're two for two. I mean, it's not like, Oh my God, but I mean, it's still something to, something to comment on. And then we have our moves in the NFL free agency. A lot, a lot of interesting uh, moves going on right now. First of which, Cordero Patterson uh, do it all back for the Atlanta Falcons. It says, come to terms with Atlanta. He's going to be staying there for at least another season. Uh, however, this does come at a cost. You see, uh, someone wasn't too happy uh, learning Atlanta was trying to go after Deshaun Watson. That would be their friend, their former franchise QB, Matt Ryan. Uh, Matt Ryan, of course, was not happy about it. Say former because he has now been traded. Matt Ryan will be playing for the Indianapolis Colts next season. He was, tra- he was traded to them for a third round pick. You saying the Colts are like really big fans of picking up washed up quarterbacks? I mean, <laughs> I, I still think Matt Ryan's that was, that's what that's what I was gonna say. <clears throat> but I mean, like Carson Wentz, obviously the I mean, like, uh, past Phillip the, Rivers past their prime quarterback, Car- Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, now Matt Ryan. So yeah. they, they're clearly like a veteran presence behind under center, but I think, but I think he's a, he's a better bet than Carson Wentz. Oh well, yeah, no, I got nothing. To, I got no shit to talk on uh, Matty Ice. I like him. Um, I tell you what, he was one of the first couple quarterbacks you'd, you'd you'd be able to take a uh, couple years back as your big quarterback. You know, he put he, he put the he's stats a QB up. QB who should have a Super Bowl ring. Only reason he doesn't is because of Kyle Shanahan. That's it. Yeah, great catch. Yeah, well, now, yeah, the Kyle Shanahan is the reason it doesn't have a Super Bowl. Uh, but the funniest part about this is because they traded Matt Ryan away, uh, they now have a dead cap of $40 million, which is the most in NFL history. Yeah, that's just, you, you never want to get hit. You never want that at all. You want to kind of do away from that stuff. But it's okay. You know why? Because they got Marcus Mariota. Yeah. 
Yeah, sign him on a two-year deal. Yeah. I don't know how much it's going to help the team. I don't know what I, I this team could genuinely be one of I'm not the this team will probably be one of the worst in the league next season. But you resign your kicker, you're good. But you, re, but you resign the kicker. I mean, we, we got yeah, 12, 12, 12 points a game just on his foot. Good stuff. <laughs> uh yeah, but but in, in better news, Matt uh after Super Bowl win, Matthew Stafford has been extended by the Los Angeles Rams, got an extension four years worth up to $160 million. Uh well deserved. I think that had he not had he not produced in the postseason, I think this he probably would have been, been around in LA for maybe another year. I mean, I still think he was going to get <clears throat> some money regardless. Um, if they would have lost in the NFC Championship, um, I still think he would have gotten some money. I think money. he would have gotten another chance. I'm saying, like if, like, if he just, like, flat out just, like, bombed in L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah, But, I mean, he hit – he hit, but, the, know, he took, but the fact, he like, we, we, saw, we saw what Stafford can do, like, when I said, like, yeah. like I said earlier, uh, like I said a few weeks ago, we saw what Stafford can do when you give him a good, a good coach, a run game, and a good defense. Yeah, and that was something he was obviously lacking in Detroit. Um, you, you still had a star-studded receiver in Calvin Johnson. Um, I mean, you and then you turn around, you have one in, in, in Cooper yeah. Cup. So, I mean, you, you it's, it's a win-win. Win. thing where, like, you think, like, L.A. doesn't have things. Like, they don't, they don't, have, they don't have things towards the future. Cause, like, Matt, Matthew Stafford's not that old. And no, he's not. Especially, like, you know, look at, like, Brady. He's playing in, like, going to, like, 45, I think. Yeah. Like, he, he, he has less mileage on him. So, I think that, yeah, I think it's actually a really smart move on them. Uh, also, a smart move for the uh, also smart move for both parties. Uh, Robert Woods has been traded to the Titans. Yeah, that kind of uh, made sense. Yeah, I mean, it feels nice for, for both teams. First of all, they had they he was excess goods at that point. I mean, it's nice to have him there, but he, is he necessary? I don't think so. Especially when, especially when you just sign Allen Robinson, who I think is a much better receiver. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and also it feels a need for the Titans. Who yeah. they just released Julio Jones? They need another pass catching option outside of AJ Brown, who's a stud. Uh, I think this is. A, I think that's a really good pickup for them. Well, yeah, you need to move younger too. Julio Jones is only getting older. Um, and and thing he's, the, he's also released, and it didn't. Also, he was released because he was injury prone. He didn't produce as much as, as he was supposed well, to. Well, he he hasn't been the same since since his injury. So I'm like, he he really hasn't been. You know, the Julio Jones of old with uh, Matty Ice, but um, and it does make sense that Woods leaves. That does uh, make sense. Um, because yeah, you, like you said, Robinson, yeah, Cooper Cup, and then probably Odell Beckham resigning. So. Odell Beckham probably probably coming back. So you got three guys there. It's it's pretty much like you, you really you got you got Higby, you got Acres, you got Henderson Jr. Like you're you, like yeah, he's he's excess goods, and plus you know, but this time he has option opportunity to flourish from another team. So yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a good trade for both parties. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, the Q the QB. Uh, the great QB rush is looks like slowly coming to an end. Jameis Winston has is come to deals, come to uh, come to terms with the New Orleans Saints. He's gonna be returning for at least two more years. Uh, whether that's going to whether they're still gonna draft the quarterback, gonna be trying to learn from Jameis, maybe like whether or not he's gonna be the guy going forward. I think I think this next year is gonna be determined whether or not Jameis Winston is the guy. Because keep in mind, Jameis Winston was a number one pick <laughs> not so long ago, um, yeah. but. You know, like he, one thing he struggled with, he struggled with turnovers. Struggled with turnovers like a motherfucker. Uh, yeah, but I, I will love... say, his first couple of games in New Orleans, he actually looked like he actually he was improving. Yeah, Damn, this is a guy who threw thirty picks. Uh, he threw 30, he threw thirty picks last time he was a full time starter. And yeah, that would that his, make Brett Favre proud. Yeah, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, he threw, threw thirty picks last time he was a full time starter, and then he only threw three within seven games of being the starter, a starter in New Orleans. So he yeah. was showing signs of improvement. 
and hopeful and you know we'll see whether or not he can continue that whether like you know they sign him as like a you know a stopgap qb i think james has got talents it's just a matter of like what and then whether or not he can fix the turnover problem yeah. uh also returning to their to their team uh, it was unknown what, what he was going to do but playoff lenny leonard fournette is returning to the bucks he signed a three-year 21 million dollar extension yeah, no, uh, I mean, not a big surprise. No, I mean, I, I, a little surprise. I mean, look, Tom, Tom Bray is clearly like calling everybody he can who, still, who's, who can still stay and be like, please come back. I need you. Come on, we need the Wild Hogs. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's, he's going to be returning to the Bucks, uh, which, I mean, yeah, he, he, he was he was really signed as like a number two to Rojo, but, but you know, he, he he showed that he was a much better back than Rojo, in my, in my opinion. I think I think oh, I saw yeah. more explosiveness from him than I did Ronald Jones the second. Not that Ronald Jones was bad. I just I think overall he's the better back, so I do think that's, that's a good good signing for them. Yeah, it's a good one-two punch anyway, though. Moving forward with them. Yeah, and, sp- oh, and speaking of Rojo, uh, he has he has left the Bucks. He is now he has signed a one-year deal with the Chiefs. Fitting. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that's a questionable signing considering they already have Clyde Edwards Alaire, who I'm mean, who is you know, he's, he's fine, he's serviceable, but you know, maybe they're, they're trying to do like a you know, more diversified running game, which I would understand. Uh, they also yeah, like uh signed uh NVS uh Marquez Valdez Stanley, former Packers, to a three year, 30 million dollar deal, uh, because of a certain thing that happened, that a certain other thing that happened last week, which we'll get into in a second. Yes, my uh, wife, reju- my wife will rejoice. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, Zadarius Smith, after refusing a uh, deal with the Ravens, he is he, I know, he is going to be wearing purple next season, but he's going to be wearing purple in Minnesota because he has signed a three-year, $42 million deal with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, this is a really – I, I think this is this, – this does kind of suck for the Packers just yeah. because uh, depending on who they get back for their line, like like say a day Bakhtiari is still, like, still hurt or like, still like injury-prone. That's that's not someone you want to see like Billy Turner go up against. Yeah, uh, but yeah, still a still solid pass rusher. That's a great get for the Minnesota defense, which they're really looking to rebuild. They really need secondary help, but they can they can address that in the draft. Yeah. Uh, speaking of secondary, Malcolm Butler has signed a deal. He's going to be returning to to the Patriots. He signed a two year deal with them. Uh, and yeah, and that's again solid get. Belichick. I think it's I think it's ironic that they didn't want to pay a big buck for JC Jackson. So they got a corner who's literally known for like one good play, but as great of a play it is, he's reliable, yeah. Play. <laughs> uh, but the big moves and phrases are made by the Dolphins, first of which they did take time to address their offensive line. Uh, they signed uh, ter- uh, former Saints tackle Taron Armstead to a five-year $75 million deal. Good gets, necessary gets. The, the offensive line for them was a big – it was a big problem. They're going to need that. They want Tua to actually succeed as the guy. Uh, yeah. Something else is not – that's going to be a big help to him. Uh, it was announced – I think it broke like early Thursday morning that Tyreek Hill uh, was seeking a trade from the Chiefs. And within a few hours, he was traded to the Dolphins. Which is really crazy thinking of all the suitors that you would think could really. Well, it's, I mean, it's funny because like there, there were, it was not their two main series. It was the Dolphins and the Jets. Yeah, the Jets. I mean, <laughs> which no. <laughs> nothing would have been funnier to me than Tyreek going to the Jets. Uh, waste, wasted talent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, but it, it is going to be fun to see Waddle with uh, 
with Tyreek. Yeah. yeah, he signed. Yeah, uh, not only did he sign, but he was extended. He's got a four now. Now going to be paid four years, one hundred twenty million dollars, making him the highest paid receiver in the history of the NFL. Craziness until Debo Samuel's re-signs with the until Rodgers. Debo Samuel. Like, shit, Cooper Cooper got fifteen a year. Seems like a bargain now. You see it, it's going to happen. I mean, they're always playing, you know, to see how high they can pay these receivers. I mean, it's 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 what's going to happen. That's the oh, way. Yeah, Jack, like Jacksonville with Christian Kirk busted the market. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that, this does raise a lot of questions. First of all, I think that if if Tua, if Tua flops this year, I think it's going to be it's a good time to move on. I think he's going to have a good year this year, though. Um, I mean, shit, with, with, with Waddle and Cheetah? I mean – you have to, but my thing is like, you know, and I've, I've watched the games much to uh, my dismay. Uh, I watch them with my wife because she watches the Niners with me. So it's a give and take that we have, but um, they're, yeah, they, their offensive line is atrocious. Um, so definitely getting that um, Armstead definitely, definitely, definitely helps that. Uh, they need to go heavy in the draft on the O-line. Um, I think maybe even drafting like a, you know, a secondary uh, for defense, maybe just like a, you know, a corner or a safety, something um, a big playmaker on defense. I think they they're lacking too. Yeah. They got, they got um, David Harrow. They need, they need some pass rush. They need some more of pass rushing help. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a young team. It's going to be a fun team to see next year to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the chiefs got their first, their first, second and fourth <laughs> from this year. And they got their fourth and their sixth next year. So they're they're betting the farm on us, sir. Yeah, they are. Well, I mean, yeah, but not the farm. Like nothing, nothing they can't recover from one year, especially because due to due to a deal they made for I think Larry, Larry Tunsil, they got they got two first rounders for the next cup for the foreseeable future. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they they I mean they they played a little bit with house money, but still they, they it's still a big it's still a gamble though. I mean, yeah, no, it's still a gamble. But I think that I think we're going to start to learn, like next year we're going to learn a lot about Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Because yeah, I think that with with this one move, I think you've now made them the like bottom of the end of, of the AFC West. Yeah, I mean they're super vulnerable now. Now let's see what you can do without a big playmaker. Let's see if you know you're these Brady comparisons. Let's see if you can make a no name receiver a household name like Brady did. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean like his big his big Patrick Mahomes now or Travis Kelsey, who is I not. Mean, I mean, not, keep in mind Patrick Mahomes is on a ten year half billion dollar deal. Yeah, his his passing his catching options right now are Travis Kelsey, who's got I think, two gonna, years two years left on his contract. It's not gonna be out for But you're not gonna throw at him constantly next year. And the ass they just signed and Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, no, Juju, Juju could be. I could see Juju stepping up into that. Though, he could too. be. He could. He could be the guy. Like, like I said, we're going. We're going to learn a lot of Patrick Mahomes <laughs> in the next couple. In the next like year or two. Yeah, they don't even have Sammy Watkins. So yeah, they definitely lost a lot of talent there on the receiving core there in the last couple of years. So yeah, it, it's uh, put up or shut up. Let's see if he's really worth that that yeah. that money. You know, that's also not a thing you want to see when like literally every team in your division is getting so much better. Oh, they're completely upgrading. All the teams are, and it's like I mean, again, just like you know, we always talk about though. It comes to a time where every team goes through that rebuilding phase. You know what I mean? I mean now now don't get me wrong. Kansas City is not that far removed from their, you know, their first title in, you know, X amount of years, you know, like what, th- three years ago, two, three years ago. So they're not that far removed from it. So they definitely have taken a, a lot of steps backwards in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I think there's yeah. like a genuine chance that like they don't make the playoffs next year. Which I, no, I think. Yeah. No, because especially, you know, if the Browns, uh, you know, if the Browns, 
you know, uh, go big there with uh, Deshaun. I think, you know, you, you have the perennial powerhouse always. Baltimore's always reliable in there. You, you, I don't really – I don't see too much in Pittsburgh. Uh, Cincinnati's going to be up there too. So you got three teams in the AFC North going to be competing. You know, you still got the Bills. You got the Pats. Uh, you got the Dolphins now in the mix. Jets are going to be on the bottom. So you definitely got a lot more competition in the AFC now. So it's definitely not impossible to see that uh, Kansas City not make the playoffs. So we'll definitely see how this uh, turns out next season. I am so excited to watch this division next season. I'm excited yeah. to see how Tua does with with him you know, past to Tyreek. Uh, that's going to do it for our you know wonderful world of sports. We now move on to trailer talk. We it's literally trailer singular talk. We have one thing to talk about today, uh, and this is where the crawdads sing. Uh, so where the crawdads sing is like is a mystery thriller drama. I don't know how to, I don't know how to classify this because even the movie doesn't know what it's selling you on. This feels like one of those like you know like you know you know good old fashioned down home dramas, but then it like segues to like murder and a murder trial. <laughs> like wait, what's what's happening here? I don't a get kale- it. I'm it's, a, it's a kaleidoscope of mystery. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. But Russell, what do you think the trailer for uh, Where the Crawdads Sing? It's, it's supposed to be a bestseller that I've never even heard of. No, yeah, never, uh, never once heard of this book. No, I, I I couldn't tell you. I've never even heard of it, um, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it looked okay. Kind of what we said just before. It's I I don't think it has any identity of what it's gonna what it's aiming for. The uh, the trailer was so mixed with different genres. You had thriller, you had romance, you had drama, romance. That's like, well, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, has a bunch of actors, actors, and actresses. But I, I, I mean, I mean, I know some of these people like Daisy Edgar Jones, uh, Harris Dickinson. Most notable name in this is probably David Shethern. Yeah, I mean, that's the first first voice I recognized as soon as I heard the trailer. Yeah, so it's just like, I mean, I don't know. They're selling small and rich. Well, there's been producing it. <laughs> yeah, and and the fact that it's this best selling book that nobody's heard of. I, I don't know. It feels like something like it feels like something like our wives would read at the beach. My, my 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 you know my theoretical wife reared the beach. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I I could see uh, our or wives Bob. there. Yeah. Yes, our our, our <laughs> wives sitting there reading 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 books. Oh, we're doing something. Yeah, absolutely. No, my wife likes these types of books. Um, she likes that Harlan. Um, uh, that Harlan. Uh, no, it's a Har- Harlan something. He's a mystery writer. He had a he just had something on Netflix. I can't think. Of Harlan C- Corbin. Harlan Coben. Yeah. COVID, yeah, yeah, she's a big fan of the mystery thriller. So this is like right up her alley, I think. Um, if that that's in fact what it is, uh, again, the trailer had us like skipping three or four different movie genres. So I don't know. And yeah, and this uh, this movie is set for a release on uh, July fifteenth, twenty twenty two. There you have it. What was com- what, what else coming out that day? Hold on. Let's see what it's gonna do. This feels feel like something that's this feels like something that's like coming out opposite of like a massive film. It's just gonna get buried by. Uh, no, never mind. It is not. This is it's literally headlining that weekend. There you have it. There we Everybody go. will be there. Coming out in between. Oh, it's kind of in between Thor: Love and Thunder and Nope. So there you have luck. a nice piece. Of, nice piece of cheese in between the bread there. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, it's gonna do it for trailer talk. It's the only, only thing we're talking about today. Now, move on to notorious news. First piece of news talking about got to salute the fallen, buddy. And we uh, lost, we lost a big one in the world of rock and roll. Uh, 
Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins uh, passed away suddenly. It, news broke of it yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, really crazy. Yeah, it was it was just a, a crazy enough because like, I literally just watched the guy in a movie. Yeah, which I, I still haven't seen. I'll probably watch it. I mean, I'll watch it eventually. It's, it's I mean, I imagine there's a big influx people watching it now. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, 50 years old, man. Yeah, 50. I mean, there's no cause of death release. It's, it's like there's reports saying that there's drugs in the system, which that's what a lot of a lot of people lot are of saying because he um, had been wrestling with addiction for a while, I guess, from what I've read. So that's kind of what all signs are pointing to. Um, if that's the case, it's kind of sad. But um, I mean, it's said either way, but I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, obviously sadder when it's, you know, more self-induced, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, we'll always have the music now, though, um, you know, and you know, Foo Fighters classics, man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, shit, Dave, Dave Grohl, it, it, it's weird. Dave, Dave Grohl was a drummer who lost his front man. Then he became the front man. And now he lost, he the, lost drummer. the drummer. Yeah. So now, now like, yeah, so that, that's all has all balance itself out now i guess right but still yeah uh taylor yeah, Hawkins, sure. rest in base you're you're a fantastic drummer and i wish i i wish i could see i wish i could see him play live man i really wish I could see him play live. <sighs> yeah i never saw the two fighters live it was one band i never I mean, saw. yeah uh that's gonna do it for uh you know rest in peace taylor next thing we're talking about is uh god uh next piece of news godzilla versus kong the sequel is apparently filming in australia this year I was reported that Adam Wingard is set to return to the director's chair to become the sequel to the to the 2020 film. Uh, or shit, 2020 was it 2021 or 2020? I think it was 2020. Was it 2020? 2021. 21. Was it? Yes. Oh man, these last two, these last years, I feel could be like one just big like giant <laughs> fucking year. Yeah. <laughs> even when I was when we were doing our no wait, I was no, I it was 2020. Okay, I was thinking Wait, it because hold on. When did when did this come out? You see what I mean? Like when we when I was doing my list for 2021 films, I had to recheck and I'm like, really? Oh, That's no, yeah, it, it, it was last year, it was last March. It was March of 2021. Yeah. Oh wow, man. See, it's, a, it's like we hit like a time portal or some shit, man. <laughs> but yeah, uh yeah, so it's uh no world one's gonna be releasing yet, but uh yeah, uh, Russell, uh you, you excited to see another, you know, another scrap between our two favorite yeah. titles. Yeah, fucking Team Kong, man. Uh I think he got a raw end of the deal the first movie. Um well, we'll see what happens, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm team Godzilla all the way, and that gonna prove that big monkey ain't shit again. Anyway, sure, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm used I'm used to my team sucking, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm used to failure. <laughs> Uh, next piece we're talking about, uh, Wednesday has just added its first, well, the first one so far, only legacy cast member for the Adams family. Uh, Christina Ritchie has officially been cast in the Wednesday Adams Netflix series. Ritchie, of course, pl- being famous for playing Wednesday Adams in the Barry Sonnenfeld films. To me, she is the quintessential Wednesday Adams. I think, like, when I think Wednesday Adams, she's the person I think of. I think she became the defining Wednesday Adams for a lot of people. Yeah. Um. So, uh, no one who she's who she's playing. But yeah, what do you think about Christina Ritchie joining joining the project? I mean, it makes sense. Uh, kind of what you said. I mean, I grew up watching these movies, so I was like seven, I think, when the first one came out. Um, I don't know. It's just she is she is Wednesday Adams, man. She's quintessential, and I think you know it was just really cool to see so many different movies throughout her like young, you know, when her young career, and just she just blew up and you know blossomed into a fantastic actress. So it was really just great to be a part of it just to see all of it but yeah it definitely makes sense to you're gonna have her in it and yeah 
I know that story didn't exactly, you know, light your fire. So I'm going to be one that is going to light your fire, Russell. Because the Sex and the City revival, and just like that, oh boy. has Seconds. officially been renewed for season for two. Hell yeah, man. I, I knew that. Um, thank you for telling me. What, uh, but I, nonetheless, I'm uh, pretty excited about it. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the first season. Um, I know a lot of people and critics really just fucking like, even the author uh, of Sex and the City really just didn't see what, where they were going. But, um, you know, uh, times have changed and it's, it was, I, I see where we were going with it because, you know, we, there was topics that we could use and, you know, there was things that, you know, lend itself for episodes and it just made sense that they went some of the directions that they went to throughout the season. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a, a season two, believe it or not. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen the show. I mean, I know my mom, my mom's a big fan of Sex in the City. I, I, she hasn't seen the show. So uh, I can't really talk about this, but you know what, for all you fans of the show, I do. I do think it's funny that uh, Chris Knott's character was well, spoiler. Uh, Mr. Big was killed, and the <laughs> first off fucking the episode, the first fucking episode, dude. I think it's funny that they killed him off in the show, and then they, and and the allegations, out, yeah. And they came out and it's like, oh, that's that's taken care of. We're good. Dude, we are, dude. We we we've taken care of it. Duh, it, it's done, dude. Yeah, uh, it is. It is done. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. This yeah. is easy. Yeah, all right, we're complaining about this. Yeah, dude, we killed him in the first episode. It's all good. They actually did. They just supposed to come back in like a finale, like flashback or dream sequence type shit. But they cut that after the allegations. Oh yeah. Well, and then the other thing I I really thought was kind of stupid they're like through and, and this is really not a spoiler but um text communications through some uh by carrie and samantha throughout the season just to let you know hey samantha's still around she's in paris blah 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 you know um yeah yeah whatever uh next thing we're talking about uh joseph one levitt has been cast as uh late night host johnny carson for a limited series uh, called King of Late Night. It's going to be overseen by David Milch, who did NYPD Blue, and directed by Jay Roach, who did uh, movies like Bombshell, the Austin Powers films, and the HBO movie All the Way. This is going to be covering Johnny Carson's life throughout his uh, career on Late Night, now, coming from going from World War II, going to radio, and then going to be the host of The Tonight Show for 30 years. Uh, so, Russell, what do you think of uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt taking over the shoes of Johnny Carson? I mean, I think he could do it. And I think we've talked about Joseph Gordon-Levitt as an actor, obviously, before with Looper and other movies that we've reviewed um, during our podcast. I mean, he's a great actor. He is very versatile. He'll tackle anything. Um, so I think he'll be just fine with, uh, you know, Johnny Carson. Obviously, Carson's before both of our times. Um, I grew up more with, I was more Team Leno uh, later on watching it. But um yeah, I, I think it, it lends itself well, though. I think there's a lot of yeah. stuff about, you know, Johnny Carson is just so, you know, uh, synonymous well, with late night television. Consider, especially when you consider the fact that like, he was like the first late night show to be like, be like a massive, massive star. Like, it was huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, like, he, he, he made, he kind of like made late night TV what it is. Yeah, him and, and, and obviously, you know, Ed McMahon, McMahon uh, wrote his, you know, tailcoat, you know, tailcoat, obviously. And then he ended up having his own, you know, success in different, uh, you know, television programs. But um, yeah, it definitely lends itself well. And I think, you know, Joseph Gordon Levitt is the perfect actor to uh, embody Carson. Why not? Yeah, I know we're on, the, on what platform that's being developed for, where it's going to drop. But yeah, look, definitely, look, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, also, <laughs> being developed, this one actually has a platform going to, I believe, HBO Max. 
there's going to be a Charlotte's Web series oh, in development. All right. I I think the series is a bit of a bit of a lofty lofty aspiration considering the books like this big. I can't talk shit on Charlotte's Web's always going to have a uh, soft spot in my heart because that was like I remember uh, the teacher reading it in kindergarten, um, and I just remember watching the the older cartoon, um, then obviously watching the the later cartoon or whatever live action or whatever charlotte's yeah. web but um yeah i, I mean kind of what you said the, the book's super short so i don't know how we're really gonna transfer that into a series um but the characters maybe i i don't know i mean it's kind of interesting to see what they're gonna do with it but uh yeah charlotte's web's always gonna have a spot for me just because of that uh yeah so i i mean i think i, I like the story of charlotte's web i think that it could work as a series i just think that it's one of the movies where like you could do it as you could you could do it as a movie if you really wanted to. I think a series will be an, an interesting an interesting take on it. Yeah, all I have to say on that is salutations. <laughs> uh, next piece we're talking about after a lot of a, a lot of effort, a lot of trying, uh, uh, the Marilyn the Marilyn Monroe biopic for netflix you were, gonna get, you were gonna go what? manson you were gonna go manson. I, was, I was gonna say manson <laughs> the, Mar- the Marilyn monroe biopic blonde of, has officially received an nc-17 rating as with Marilyn manson so i mean as with Marilyn same, manson. so it doesn't really matter at that point yeah <laughs> yeah it's gonna be the first this will be the first uh, NC-17. But this is a big deal because, well, first of all, there, that's the reason we haven't seen this movie, this movie. Yeah, this was shot a while back, but we haven't seen it yet because there was a lot of contention over, you know, the director wanting to keep the N 17 rating, whereas yeah. the, studio, the studios kept pushing him to make it an R. Yeah. Uh, and But yeah, but like, you know, the, the director won, which I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. Uh, you know, I'm happy for any director who gets to keep their vision intact yeah, most of the time. Uh, uh, speak, but, speaking of NC-17, you can check out our uh, old review on Showgirls. Yeah, also exactly. Li- also live commentary with that. So go ahead and uh, check that out. But yeah, I'm checking. I can't remember the last time we actually saw an NC-17 movie. I think, what, Shame would have been the last one? Shame. Uh, ca- I, shame. I mean, Less Caution was right before that. I remember seeing that in the theater. Um, like, I'm trying to check. Was Shame NC17? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't recall. I think like Shame was the last big NC because like usually like a lot of movies that go for N17s. Well, they're huge. End up, uh, end up re editing for edit for re rating. Ie uh, eyes wide shut. Eyes wide shut. Uh, shit spiral last year got re got re edited. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like a lot of these movies end up going for it. But yeah, no, like this is gonna be the first big NC17 movie we've seen in quite some time. Uh, yeah, so is that? Uh, but I think it's fitting considering, like, considering if you know the life Marilyn Marilyn Monroe led, yeah, yeah. she would have been. Uh, she liked to dabble. She did. Would have definitely. She def- <laughs> definitely lived an anti seventeen life. So yeah, uh, yeah. Does that that uh, you know does that increase your excitement for the Mar- the uh, blonde movie? I mean, I was cur- I'd be curious about it either way. I mean, I liked one week with Marilyn, obviously a tamer version of it. Um, but yeah, no, I um. She definitely has that, you know, Hollywood lifestyle that you kind of want to know about. Um, you know, uh, Arna de Armas is a uh, is a is a pretty good actress. Um, really not sure of the last movie I watched her in with Ben Affleck. Oh, you saw Deep Water? <laughs> I did see Deep Water. My wife and I watched it, and I I was like, I mean, <sighs> I need to watch that one. 
dude, we, we have to talk about that. Yeah, you need to watch <laughs> that so we can we can have a chat about it. Yeah. Um, but she's a good. I mean, she's an okay actress. I mean, she's very attractive. I think she's, I think she's a good actress. I mean, my my concern is that accent. I'm very. If she can shake that. Yeah, we we don't need no uh, Colin Farrell in Miami Vice type thing where that thick Irish <laughs> accent comes out or Alexander, you know. Um, Conquer death. Yeah, but she, like I said, she should be, uh, you know, she's casted pretty well in this. And, and she's, like, very attractive, you know, very gorgeous actress. Um, so she definitely fits right in there with, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe. Just kind of, And I'm kind of glad, like what you said before, I, I like when director's vision goes straight through, like, goes straight to what it is. Uh, we don't have to, like, try to edit it and, uh, sh- you know, kind of, like, uh, block certain things so that we can get that R rating so that we can have more eyes on it. Um, I just take a chance, man. NC 17. I mean, just take a chance with it, man. You know, uh, next piece you're talking about. Speaking of biopics, uh, was that Gemma Chan is going to star and produce a biopic on uh, uh famed actress Anime Wong. So, have you uh, is that name familiar to you? It sounds vaguely familiar. Um, yeah, so so and so Anime Wong was uh, she was an she was an actress in the golden age of Hollywood and she was considered to be the first. Chinese American Hollywood movie star. Like she was the first, she was the first Asian American to break it big in the Hollywood circuit. And she had a career that spanned, uh, that spanned several, that spanned like from like, like silent film to like talkies. And she was, she was always, she was always around. Okay. And she was like someone who was like massively influential for like Asian actors uh, to, you know, like really kind of showing, you know, showing case what they can do and showing case that like they can be like real, real talents in the industry. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, where she's getting her own biopic and Gemma Chan's will be playing her. Uh, so what, uh, what hearing hearing that is that that, that intrigue you as someone who doesn't, who doesn't know much about her? Yeah, obviously. Um, anytime I can learn about somebody that is influential, whether it be culturally or, you know, whatever have you, um, I always kind of want to learn more about that person just so I, you know, just another, uh, you know, notch on a belt for, you know, just, you know, just knowing, you know, different, you know, important people. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm on board. Uh, I always like to learn as much as I possibly can, especially about, you know, actors and actresses or, you know, what have you uh, that I don't know about that I can, you know, definitely uh, just add more knowledge to the, to the bin, you know? And uh, la- well, not last thing we're talking about, but like last, last singular thing we're going to talk about right now. Uh, it was announced that uh, Vol- after a long, long development process, Voltron is finally getting the big screen treatment. It's been a thing that's been in development for quite some time. Uh, but it's now back in, de- in active development uh, with Ross and Marshall Thurber co-writing and also directing Ross Marshall Thurber, who directed Central Intelligence and also, uh, what's it called? Skyscraper, like the, the, the Rock Die Hard movie, Skyscraper <laughs> and Red Notice. So The Rock's going to be playing the role. So basically, you, you don't know Voltron. Then I don't know if this is, I don't know if like you're quite, I don't know if you're quite a Voltron fan, Russell, but in case you, in case you no. don't know people. This was basically animated Power Rangers, but more animated, which was somehow like less of a cartoon than live action Power Rangers. Definitely heard of it. Um, again, just never, yeah, never got around to it. Yeah, it's basically a thing where you know, like, the, these about these like crew of of uh, young people who each have like lion robots and they all combine to make a giant robot. Uh, this thing's been around. It's been around since the '80s. But I think the interesting thing is that there was a series called Voltron Legendary Defender, which uh, kind of 
you know, was more of a character, like modern day character piece cartoon, which we do see a lot of now. It's actually actually quite good. Uh, it really kind of introduced Voltron to different generations. I would like if they want, they took that kind of approach to it. Uh, but so I think Voltron, I think we're like, it's not a thing where like, it's impossible to do a movie of it. It's like, this is definitely something that would translate to live action uh, yeah. as long as you just do it right. I think Marshall Marsh Thurber, pretty, pretty solid filmmaker. I don't, I don't, I haven't like loved a lot of his stuff, but I think I've, I've enjoyed a great deal of it. So yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to seeing why he does, why he does this. Last thing I'm going to be touching on is some, is some Academy picks. Uh, well, first of all, the first Academy story we're talking about has nothing to do with any, any nominees. Uh, the fact that Rachel Zegler was apparently not invited to the ceremony. Yeah, which is fucking crazy, man. <laughs> the thing we heard, we're just like, wait, fucking what? Yeah, dude, like, that's Maria. You like, can't, you, like, not yeah, you're, invite you're Maria. The, like, you're the star of... Like you're the star of a best picture nominee, like literally the yeah. lead, and you can't get like you're the love story. You're the main fucking focal point of West Side Story, dude. So yeah, that's yeah. So it came out the, crazy. So, yeah, so she came on Twitter saying she wasn't invited. Twitter, t- Twitter threw a hissy fit, and then she was invited to present, which I think is a, I think is great for her. I would not go out of just. I'll get. No, I'll be, it'd be so hard. <laughs> dude, yeah, dude. I would say I'm going, and then just not go. Nope. Completely ghosted. Figure it out. Absolutely. No, you no, I wasn't good enough the first oh time. Oh my god. That'd be like I'm, the that'd yeah. be like the biggest like throw it on the table move. Yeah. Be, I'm not good enough. Awesome. To, I'm not I'm not good enough the first time to invite. Fuck it. I don't want to do no, it. Fuck no, like no, fuck you. I'm not going. Nope. I'm gonna tell you I'm going, but I'm not going. Oh my gosh. Love it. Oh, it'd be hilarious. And that that, that they would be like, Oh yeah, coming up to present, we got Rachel. No, where the hell is she at? Like, what the Where'd fuck? She... Yeah. What, the, what the fuck, Rachel? <laughs> you said you were going to go. Now you've been blacklisted from Oscars. <laughs> I, I I would honestly risk never being invited to another Oscar to do that. Yeah, but dude, I, I would not present if especially like that's on them, man. That's horseshit. Yeah, yeah, no, that, 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 that is totally that's dumb, man. So, yeah, like it'd be even like worse if Alan Slogger got invited. Seriously, and maybe he took her spot, that'd be even more screwed up. <laughs> we can only get so many people per movie, you know. And yeah, you know, Alan has been here, so yeah, sorry, Rachel. Yeah, sorry, we invited Baby Driver. <laughs> uh, but uh, we actually are going to talk about our nominees. We, you know, we, we, we gave our, you know, like our soft predictions when the nominees came out. But, you know, things have changed, things have moved, and now we're in a position <laughs> where we can make some actually, you know, some actually more informed decisions with our nominations. Let's go, let's go over the categories again. Best visual effects nominees we got Dune, Free Guy, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider Man, No Way Home. I'm taking Dune on this one. What do you got, Russell? Yeah, I would go Dune. I think just the, the whole you know, Denny Villeneuve's world that he paints. I think that would just make the most sense. All right. Uh, then we got uh, the category of uh, category of best film editing, one of which that is not being presented live, which of is course, bullshit. Yeah, which again is dumb. Yeah. Uh, not being presented live. The nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, Power of the Dog, and Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm surprised what has so surprised what has story is not here. Uh, I also think Dune is going to take this one. That would make sense. I'll probably kind of err on the side of you there. That would that would make sense. It was more, it was more of a blockbuster. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. a lot of, a lot of editing in that one. So I think that would be the the safe choice. Uh, best costumes: uh, Cruella, Cyrano, Dune, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. This one, actually, think Cruella is going to take it. But as, yeah, as it should, I think I think that Cru- Cruella. Say what you yeah. about Cruella. I think the costume design in that is was like really cool and really creative. So 
yeah, yeah. that's definitely my pick to win. Uh, next category, best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, Coming to America, Cruella, Dune, Eyes Tammy Faye, and House of Gucci. I think this is one that Eyes Tammy Faye is going to take. That's what I'm going to go with because of the fact Jessica Chastain is completely unrecognizable, and I think she's fantastic in it. Um, it would be a it would be a shame if that didn't win. Yeah, uh, best cinematography uh, nominees are uh, Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Tragedy Macbeth, and West Side Story. A lot of great nominees here, but I think Dune's going to take. So I think Dune's going to have a really big night for technical Oscars. I wouldn't be surprised. Call me crazy. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if West Side Story wins this one. No, I don't think you're crazy. Um, I just I think that you know I just I feel like this is a, a like a trap category where there's a lot of good picks. I can see Power of the Dog winning this one too. Um, but I'm gonna air with West Side Story on this one. Okay. Uh, best production design. Uh, another one that is not being presented live. Uh, Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Tragedy Macbeth, and West Side Story. I like I said, I think Dune's gonna have like a massive night at the last because I'm going Dune on this one. I'm gonna go West Side Story again on this one. Uh, just like I said, it's just one of those ones where the production design, I mean, it is such a grandish, uh, you know, design, the whole entire, you know, everything about this film. I, I think it just it's it screams production design too. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with West Side Story on this one. All right, best sound, Belfast. I mean, our Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. This is usually this is one that we're usually musicals are usually favored in this one, but I am betting against them. And I would not be surprised if West Side Story won, but I am going on Dune. I'm gonna go with Power of the Dog on this one. Really? I think, I think honestly, I, I know the the production design and, and and all that. I think I went West Side Story, but I do think that. Call me crazy. I think Power of the Dog maybe wins this one. I don't know. It just, it just seems like a category where I think this is going to squeak something out like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, best original score, not, not being presented live. Uh, nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune, and Ganto, Parallel Mothers, and Power of the Dog. I think it's really shitty this one is going to be presented off screen because I feel like Hans Zimmer for Dune is going to win this considering it's going to be his first Oscar in nearly 20 years. Actually, no shit, over 20 years. That's, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Like Hans Zimmer, a guy, one of the most influential <laughs> film composers of the last 50 years, is going to be receiving his Oscar off screen. <laughs> crazy. Like it's up. Yeah, I'm going with Dune on this one. What do you got? I don't know. I, I was torn between Dune and Encanto. I really think Encanto would be something I could I could see that film winning. It's such a beautiful soundtrack. Um, I'm going to keep with what I think on that one. I'm going Encanto on this one. Yeah. Uh, best original song. The uh, nominees are Be Alive from King Richard, Dos Oduguitas from Encanto, Down to Joy from Belfast, No Time to Die from No Time to Die, and Somehow You Do from Four Good Days. So it's a nomination. We're all like, what the fuck is that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh now this is one where I'm taking the upset because like odds are favoring the ball. Odds favor the Bond song. The last two did win best original song. Uh, I'm betting on Dos Oduguitas, even though you know uh, Lamento Miranda was announced that like his wife got, his wife got COVID, so we can't go to the Oscars now. Uh, but I do think that there's narrative here where like Lamento Miranda is one Oscar from being an EGOT winner. Crazy. Yeah, so I do think that this is going to be the one where he. I, I think it's going to be the one that wins it, that wins it for him. Uh, again, if if No Time to Die wins, I won't be shocked. I, I don't think it deserves it, but I won't be shocked. But I do yeah. think that I, I think I think Lemon Miranda's gonna take this one. 
which yeah, is which is gonna be really funny if he if he becomes an egot winner and is and isn't there to take it. Yeah, I'm I'm going in Kanto on this one as well. All right, uh, best animated short not being presented live sucks. Uh, Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, Robin Robin, and Windshield Wiper. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the lead on these ones because I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like we haven't seen most of these. You would be correct, but I still, nonetheless, will give you my pick anyway. Okay, so you got picks anyway. <coughs> pick. I'm gonna go Robin Robin. Me too. Uh, best live action short again, not being presented live. Uh, Alakachu, the dress, the long goodbye, and on my mind. I didn't, oh, and please hold. I'm like, are there four not mace now? And please hold. Uh, I think uh, long goodbye is going to be it mostly because, like, I think that Riz Ahmed's a nominee for it. Okay. Uh, because he, like, he he produced the short, and I do think that you know they're gonna look at it, they're gonna look more favorably on him because he's someone who was nominated for best actor last year, and like and you know they, they like uh, rewarding actors for doing things outside of acting. So I think I think the long goodbye is gonna take it. Um, for shits and giggles, I'm gonna go with the dress. Okay, best documentary short subject: Audible, Lead Me Home, Queen of Basketball, Three Songs for Benzir, Benazir, and When We Were Bullies. Uh, I think Queen of Basketball is a strong front runner. I think Audible, with all the love for Coda, is getting could take it, but I'm, I'm leaning towards Queen of Basketball. Uh, yeah, sounds good. I'll go with that one. <laughs> I, I didn't see any of the documentary short subjects, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'll go with the Queen. I of usually them, I usually see them after the fact. I just, I'd just go off a bus, and that's usually what I like. I if I were to do it, I would do the same thing, see it after. But um, I'm yeah. gonna go with uh, Queen of Basketball with you. Uh, best documentary feature. Uh, these are Ascension, Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, or when the, or when the Revolution Cannot Be Televised, and Riding with Fire. Some of these I actually have seen. Uh, and now I think that uh, everything is saying that Quest Love is going to win an Oscar uh, for Summer of Soul, which That's is deserved because Summer of Soul is actually a really good movie. That's what I would go with. Um, uh, really sad that the uh, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, documentary wasn't on there. I think that was a really good film. I believe Roadrunner. Yes. yes. Yeah, I, I really think that that is a uh, a terrible snub. I thought it was a really, really engaging documentary. Um, I also like the... Uh, oh, actually, no, that would be last year's. Or wait, no. The Pat Moria one I liked, too. Moria. Oh, yeah. Pat, Pat Morita. Pat Morita, yeah. <clears throat> I really like that documentary as well. Right. It came out earlier this year. Um, didn't Val, it, would, it, would be, it would be nice to see Val get a nomination. Yeah, um, but yeah, Val was fantastic too. But definitely was surprised about the Anthony Bourdain one. I really thought that that one was a really engaging uh, documentary. Yeah. Uh, best international feature nominees are Drive My Car, Flea, Hand of God, uh, Lunana, <coughs> and Worst Person in the World. I would love it if the Worst Person in the World won, but I think given the fact that it's not for Best Picture and Best Director, I think this was definitely going to Drive My Car. Yeah, I'm a half hour into that movie. Um, yeah. I'll go with Drive My Car too. That's definitely definitely got some thoughts on that one so far, man. A half hour into this movie, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, it's oh, Russell. Anyway. The movie hasn't even, movie hasn't even started yet. That's the funny thing. Well, yeah, I know that, but still, like the guy, the guy's already caught his wife cheating. Like, come on, like the, we're setting the table here. I actually probably am gonna go uh, watch a little bit more of it when we uh, finish uh, shooting here. Little fun fact. Uh, next next nominee we have best animated feature Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Ryan the Last Dragon. 
Uh, I think this one, with all with given all the he has gotten over the holiday weekend, given the fact that it's been basically sweeping everything he's been nominated for, every major award nominated for, I think is going to Encanto, which is deserved, which is much deserved. I think that this is, I think it's a great film, and okay. I'm excited to see it win. I'm going to go Encanto. However, I do really, really, really like Raya and the Last Dragon more, um, but I will go Encanto on this one. It's a safe bet, but like I said, Raya, Raya and the Last Dragon was absolutely fantastic as well. I, I like the movie a lot, but I think Encanto just I think it, it elevates the family concept more. Um, yeah. uh, best adapted screenplay: uh, Coda. That means are Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter, and The Power of the Dog. This is actually a pretty, pretty stacked category. Yeah. Uh, I would love it if Dune won. It's not going to happen. I think that it's really down between two. Uh, I think it's going to be either Coda or Power of the Dog. I for a, for a long time, Power of the Dog was my pick which is going to be the theme going forward for the rest of this. But I do think that I think that Coda, it's got, it's got the, I think it's going to take it. I haven't seen Coda yet. I have seen power of the dog, uh, power of the dog. You even had Apple TV plus. I have not. Um, So I'm kind of waiting for tomorrow. If Coda does win, I will then probably end up by uh, subscribing and watching Coda tomorrow. If that happens, watch that lasso. I, and I and I will do that too. Um, but I'm gonna go with Power of the Dog on this one. Although I'm not like this isn't my front runner for Best Picture. I just want to throw that out there. I just I mean, I we'll, we'll, a, we'll get we'll get to your front runner. Slow down. Okay. Calm down. We'll, Easy. We'll have a we'll have a talk. Uh, best original screenplay. Belf. Uh, that means our Belfast. Don't look up. King Richard. Licorice Pizza. And the worst person in the world. This is an interesting one because it seemed like for a long time, like P- this was gonna be the one that won PTA. His as the one that like finally won PTA and Oscar. Problem is, okay, and this thing, we thought, you know, Belfast is going to be one to win Cat Brown and Oscar, then like the heat for that kind of died. We thought, oh, it's going to be the one, look, he's going to win PTA and Oscar. It caught a lot of bad controversy. And I did get a, a, a Writers Guild a nomination of Best Original Screenplay. However, it lost, which makes me think yeah. it's not going to win. I think the I think the lure of having Kenneth Brown finally win an Oscar is going to be too much for the Academy to resist. So I think it's going to go to Belfast. Yeah, I like that. Um, I would say th- I was thinking licorice pizza as well, but kind of what you said with the whole entire. Eh. I, I really do like it. Licorice pizza is a fantastic film. It's a good um, movie, really good movie. But I, but also I wouldn't sleep on. I haven't seen it, but I just know a lot of the praise that it's getting. The worst person in the world. I've so, seen it. I would yeah. love it if it won. Yeah. So that's see, and that's kind of where I'm thinking at with that. But I'm gonna go with Belfast. I love uh, Kath Branagh, so I hope uh, hope he gets a uh, an Oscar. Now you guys, the real meat of it. Best supporting actress nominees are Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and Anjanou Ellis for King Richard. This to me is the biggest lock of any of the of the Oscar acting categories. I think this is going to go to Ariana DeBose. Wouldn't be my pick out of all these. I'd probably lean towards either Kirsten Dunst or Anjanou Ellis, but I, I think Ariana DeBose is she's good. I think she'd be a deserving winner. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that's what I think is going to. I mean, she's again, not who I think is the best out of this one. Uh, the, I'm going kind of Aaron with you, uh, Ariana DeBose. Um, I think she's the lock on this one, but I do think if it was me picking personally, I would choose Kirsten Dunn's Power of the Dog. I think she's fantastic in that movie. Um, I, think she, I think she absolutely delivers one of the best performances that she's given in ever. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, I feel like she just elevates her, her role more, but um but anyway, I'll go Ariana DeBose just to play safe. All right. Best Supporting Actor nominees are Kieran Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee for also Power of the Dog. 
this for the long, longest time was Cody's, Cody's uh, award to lose. Uh, but I think that in recent times, Troy Cotter has really emerged the front runner. I do think he's going to continue here. I think he's going to win Best Supporting Actor. He'll be the first uh, deaf man to win an Oscar. Uh, and I think it's I think it's well deserved. I think he is fantastic in the in the film. Uh, Russell, what do you think? Speaking of somebody who hasn't seen it, uh, the ones that I have seen, Cody Smith, Cody Smith McPhee elevates his role. I think he gives the best acting performance in Power of the Dog, uh, bar none. Um, I just I I would I would be surprised if he didn't win. So I'm gonna go with Cody Smith McPhee for Power of the Dog. Interesting. Okay. Uh, best actor nominees are Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for Tragedy Macbeth. Uh, I think this is a three horse race between uh, Benedict, Andrew, and Will Smith, but That's I think I that say. everything is pointing towards Will Smith finally. He's, he's wanted an Oscar for such a long time. I think like signs are pointing to the fact he's finally going to get it. Speaking of the other two, Denzel and Javier already have them. Yeah, um, then they already have one. Yeah, so um, I would say Will Smith, too. Um, if I was picking somebody, if it wasn't Will Smith, I would probably go with Andrew Garfield. If it's not him. Will Smith, I think it's going to be Benedict. I Benedict's good, but I mean, Andrew Garfield's pretty damn good in Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, really elevates that film. Um, so I would probably, I'm going to go Will Smith, but my set, my runner-up, I would say Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, <laughs> best actress nominees are Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Colman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and, Chris- and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Now, this is one, ev- literally, at one point or another, every single person in this category has been a front-runner to win this one. Yeah. This is, one, this is the hardest acting category to call this year. Uh, I think that signs are pointing towards Jessica Chastain uh, finally taking up time. I feel like this is going to be like her and Will Smith finally taking home Oscars because you know, like they don't have one yet. Did you finally watch it? Isn't she fantastic in that movie? We'll, 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 we'll maybe talk about her a little bit later, but uh, okay. but yeah, I think uh, like again, if any of these women won, I would not be shocked. But I'm leaning for Jessica Chastain. I am going to go Jessica Chastain as well. Um, just I, I've I've sung her praises from the from the get-go with eyes of Tammy Faye. So I've kind of, kind of keep in suit. I do love Kristen Stewart and Spencer though. So I, I want that to be known. Um, I would love to see Kristen Stewart win. I think she's fantastic at Spencer. I think Spencer's a fantastic movie. Um, I will go Chastain barely. I think it's a super close race, but I definitely want to go uh, Jessica Chastain. She should have been uh, nominated for Molly's game. Thank you. Uh, best, <laughs> best director <laughs> nominees are Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Ryosuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. I think, to, to me, this is the biggest lock of the night. I think that's going to be Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. I'm also thinking the same thing. Although like she's, a, she's a vet in the world of filmmaking, and this is, I don't know if this is her first nomination. That, that sounds wrong, but it might be. But either way, someone who, especially given like you know the, the big move for like more female directors, I think that this is this is going to be a you know really big really big moment for another big moment for my director because then we had Chloe Zhao win last year. So, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Jane Campion. I don't think Power of the Dog is. I mean, I, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's like. I think it's overhyped. Really, we'll talk later. Well, we'll talk next category about it. But um, would love to see Kenneth Branagh win. 
Um, I would like to see PTA win on licorice pizza. There's so much going against that though. Spielberg's already won. So I think he is completely out. Um, I could see uh, the director of drive my car just because of the fact that we had uh, Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho went two years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I could, I could see that. Um, I'm going to go Jan Campion as well. Uh, like I said, though, would love to see any of these other guys win uh, outside of Spielberg. Cause Spielberg's already had his, um, and I really, man, I'd, I'd really either PTA or Kenneth Branagh. I would be happy with either. All right, and uh, last one, best picture nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Now, for the longest time, I thought this would be Power of the Dog. Like, there's like, no doubt Power of the Dog is going to win this award, but Coda clean, Coda cleaned up at they cleaned up at the SAG Awards. The Rock, the Riders Guild Awards, and the Producers Guild Awards. So yeah. I think it's like it's just sh- like all the momentum has shifted Dakota, where I think Coda is going to win, which would make it the first streaming film to win Best Picture. Yeah, that's kind of crazy because I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when we were doing this, we were talking about streaming movies being nominated for yeah. Academy Awards. It's, it's it's crazy to see in a couple of years that we've been doing this, uh, just, just the shift in in movies and the availability of uh, movies. Um, based on the ones I've seen. I, I, I won't go Coda just because I haven't seen it. Um, Power of the Dog to me, <clears throat> I just feel like it's an overhyped movie. I, I like it fine. I know where it's going, though. I know this big secret that we're, we're leading up to. You can kind of put it together. Um, it doesn't allow you to be surprised about the secret. You know what I mean? Um, that's just my my opinion on it. Great acting performances. Don't get me wrong. But I think Cody Smith McPhee is 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 the uh, the jewel in this in this film for sure. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is fantastic. Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst obviously fantastic in their own way. I just think this movie is a little bit more overhyped. Um, like Nightmare Alley engaged me more. Like Licorice Pizza engaged me more. You know these other films. Uh, I'm gonna go with what I said before. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Belfast. I know it's a complete long shot. Um, out of the movies here that I did have seen, though, it, it is the one that I feel I don't know that it was one that I would I would absolutely say, hey, this is my movie. You know what I mean? Drive my car. Like I said, I'm only a half hour in. So it would be wrong to me to say, having not seen the other two and a half hours, of that long fucking movie, um, uh, you know, but I, I'm going to go with Belfast. I definitely, uh, you know, I respect Coda and, and what it's doing. And, and like I said, I will watch that tomorrow if that does uh, end up becoming a best picture for this uh, this year. But um, I'm gonna go with Belfast on this. All right, and that's that. Those are our Oscar picks. We now move on to the main event, the movie of the week, Jurassic World. Uh, now, we talked about Jurassic Park three last week. Uh, now, this movie. Uh, now we're gonna talk about it. like it was. It wasn't well received by critics or audiences. It still made money. That's the thing. It still made money. I made but. Both the Jurassic Park franchise was shelved after this. Uh, it was shelved for a long time. After that movie came out, it would be a whopping 14 years uh, before we saw another entry in this franchise. Nearly a decade and a half before we saw another entry in this franchise. Uh, but Jurassic World came out in the year 2015. And it came, not only was it big, Russell, it was huge. Oh, absolutely. I, re- I remember it was the like, year Ella was they, born. was huge. Absolutely. It was, oh, was it really? It was a, yeah. But I remember that. I remember this going to the movies and seeing it. Ella was like, the second shit. biggest thing to happen in the year yeah. of 2015. You have Ella and then it's it's Jurassic World right behind her. Nip it at her. But uh, <laughs> yeah, 
I definitely remember watching this movie and I just remember it, it, everything about it, man, it, the, the nostalgia, you know what I mean? It came out at the right time. You know, we were, we were waiting. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, this movie came out, uh, was a, was instantly like instantly a mass success. Huge. And, this movie made so much money. Yeah. Like we're, uh, we're going to break, break down a few numbers for you. Uh, first that broke several box office records on release. Uh, first of all, this was the this for a hot minute was the biggest opening worldwide. First movie to cross half a billion dollars in one weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. open to a 200, 208 million dollars in the states. Uh, no fast, fa- no face fast, masks. <laughs> fastest, fastest to reach five hundred in the fastest to reach five hundred million dollars in the states for the longest time. Uh, uh, fastest grossing days <laughs> so many so many records but despite that uh you know audience uh, you know critical reception was still a bit mixed so question is what was it about this film that made it such a big hit well we're we're gonna get into it right now this is jurassic world we start off uh you know in the lab we see that something new is hatching in the jurassic park franchise no we cut, we immediately <laughs> cut away. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to see continue to see what's going on? Yeah. Two, uh, you know, that's Jurassic Park. We got to have some kids in here. Uh, these are our two main kids, Gray and Zach. Uh, they are being sent to Jurassic World. It's funny. Gray saying goodbye to his girl. Not Gray. Zach saying goodbye to his girlfriend. He's like, come on, son. You're not, you're not going to war. I'm, she may, she may as well be. Yeah. May as well be going to war. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're being sent off to Isla Nubar to, to go to the newly revamped Jurassic World. Now, here's what I will say. I will give this movie a lot of credit for one thing right off the bat. I think this movie has an impressive sense of scale. Yeah. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by that. Like, like you were going through it and it feels massive. Like, this is shot in a two, two to one aspect ratio to have dinosaurs and humans in the same frame. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, you're, you're, you're going and you're like, you're going in. It's brilliant. It's the anticipation. You hear that the Delwyn score, that and then you get like the big crescendo when you see the full park, and that's when you like you see you see a fully functional Jurassic theme park, and you feel like you're watching John Hammond's dream come to complete fruition. Yeah, it's almost like Disney World taking off right before your very eyes, man. Uh, yeah, it really is. I, I yeah, think, I think the design of the park is great. I think the fact, I think just like seeing the, this place like fully operational. I think is is like a really cool site. Yeah, I mean, we love our Starbucks here. Uh, product placement. We love our Starbucks. Oh, so much product placement. Uh, Starbucks, definitely product placement. Uh, we had Beats in the car. Mercedes. Mercedes. Uh, don't, so much Mercedes. Don't, don't forget your Pandora bracelet, your charm bracelets Pandora. there too, because Pandora was right next to, uh, right next near, right near Starbucks. But um, yeah, just how you said that grandiose scale. Um, it's just it's really beautiful to unfold right before your eyes. You do feel like you are going on a journey into this amusement park, and it's just absolutely breathtaking. You really feel like you've entered a new a new world and a new era of Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we then meet our we then meet our real main character of the film, a set of eye heels of Bryce Dallas Howard attached to him. Yeah. This is Claire, and yes, it's the thing we just mentioned a lot. But you nearly see more of Bryce Dallas Howard's feet in this film than you see of her face. Yeah, she loves her heels, man. Uh, she should just wear a pair of Crocs, be comfortable, you know. Um, wear, some, wear some tennies, like shit. 
yeah, I mean, whatever. I no judgment. Sketchers, whatever you your feet feel comfortable in. But yeah, lots of uh, lots of feet. Yeah, uh, she is introducing a. But so this is this is a thing where you know this is where the movie kind of starts to you know, fall apart with some people because you know characters start talking and the plot starts getting unveiled. Uh, turns out the public is sick of dinosaurs. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know how. Um, I don't coming, know how that happens. They're coming to your amusement park. I'm not quite sure where we lost that at. Yeah, the, the park is like full. So I don't know why people are so sick. I mean, oh man, you guys are just so poor. I don't know. I feel bad. Yeah. So yeah. So they. So apparently, attendance is down enough to the point where they feel the need to create a new dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, you you don't want to get attendance too high though. We have to wear masks, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this uh, new uh, this new dinosaur uh, creation is headed up by the only returning cast member from the original from the original Jurassic Park, Henry Wu, played by B. D. Wong. Yeah, because <laughs> of all the people you could have brought back from the first one. Oh, that guy! Yeah, B. D. Wong, the guy who had like a grand total of two minutes of screen time. Bring him back the nostalgic purposes, man. Yeah, I mean, look, I like I like B. D. Wong. He looks no different now than he did in 1993. No. <laughs> Cut and paste. It's just weird that like he's now he's basically now become the most important person in this franchise. Just like that. It only took him twenty two. Only only took twenty two years. Oh yeah, well, it took him over twenty years. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we all see that uh, this Claire is the aunt of the two main kids, Zach and Gray, and she's also not very uh, not very good aunt. Uh, no, she doesn't like to spend any time with them at all. Doesn't spend any time with them. Doesn't know how old they are. Looks up with some cool shit at the park though. Yeah, and that's why she's a cool aunt. That's why she's a cool aunt. I'm like, shit, my aunt, do whatever you want. I got, I got my fast pass. We're good. Yeah. Dude, I can ride this ride all day. I don't care. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we see that, like this this park functions pretty well. We also meet the person who is basically the CEO of this park, the guy who, used to, who took over for John Hammond's kind of vision here. Uh, Simon Mazrani, played by the late Irfan Khan. I'm going to hear a character in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, mine too. A fantastic actor, though. He was, uh, just, he was such a good actor. Taken way too soon in his fifties. Just uh, a fantastic actor. Yeah, like he, the way he comes up, like he's so he's so lively and so energetic, and just like there's, there's something about him. There's a quality he has, like not a lot of characters in this movie do have, which is a problem, which we'll get there. But yeah, I think we need more characters along the line of this. Like he, he's, he's yeah. so good. That's the fact that he's like barely in it, and his character does some does some shit. He's so good. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. He's good. He's, he's good in everything. Oh, fantastic in everything. Yeah, we're then introduced to we, our first glimpse of the new dino, uh, the Indominus Rex, which is apparently like we, we don't they, they like to keep it hit. They keep they keep it hidden. They they really start to like build up, you know, what this new thing is going to look like, which I, which I do like. I like I like the anticipation like that, considering you know that's kind of how the first one unveiled. Yeah, uh, we also see this thing is apparently like really vicious because it ate its sibling. Uh, Masrani requests uh, to have a trainer look at this thing. Uh, a raptor trainer by the name of Owen Grady, played by Chris Pratt, who, funny enough, predicted his own casting. I think like ten, like ten years before it happened. Really? Yeah. Well, there, there's a again, like he didn't like do it like intentionally. Like he made like a like a behind the scenes video of Parks and Rec, okay. or like, like he like he made a joke, like I'm a text a text message from Steven Spielberg. Like, sir, I'm busy, Steven. I will talk to you later about Jurassic. He literally said, I'll talk to you later about Jurassic Park 4. 
and then he was literally cast that's crazy yeah i think i think that's wild uh so yeah uh he is a raptor trainer uh and keep in mind this is this uh time where this movie caught chris pratt at the exact right time oh i mean this really i mean this really put him on the map well no Um, no no, the last year put him on the map yeah he he's part of the reason i think this movie did so well oh yeah because he was 2014 at 2014 he was like the it guy in hollywood after the lego movie and guardians of the galaxy yeah, he was just a dude who was like set to explode as a Hollywood leading man. Yeah, right place at the right time. Yeah, and yeah, this movie got him before those movies came. This movie, movies came out, and yeah, um, his character here isn't the deepest. I mean, like he's like he's, he's he's fun, sort of like a Nathan Drake, Indiana Jones esque type character. He's yeah. a he's a raptor trainer, which I think is is an interesting dynamic to have. I don't know how a Navy SEAL got these kinds of skills. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know how you would even merge that together. I don't know where you had the time to do this. Yeah. Uh, but he's met by this guy. Uh, his one of his uh, na- old Navy buddies, Hoskins, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Such a random casting, but D'Onofrio is great in everything. I mean, I, I really he's like, like he's, he's like such a cartoon because the whole reason like he, he worked he works for InGen. He's probably, he was an Navy buddy of Owens. Yeah. And- He's trying to get him like on this plan to like weaponize velociraptors. Yeah, and you're which just is like, wait, completely what? crazy. Yeah, which is completely crazy. But you also kind of see the crazy rationale behind it, though. I mean, that would be uh, pretty. Because like, I feel like this is the kid. Like, remember, remember I mean, Dino Riders? Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is the kid that had Dino Riders. He's yeah, like, the kid, and he's like, that's my dream. I don't know. Like to me, it's just kind of like he's way lofty dreams he's really setting lofty you know what i mean but he's thinking dollar signs um he thinks and but it makes sense though if you think about it like if you get into the jurassic uh you know jurassic park jurassic world way of thinking um weaponizing these things would be perfect i mean you would definitely do some damage with it and i mean and imagine how much money you could start a bidding war with these things you know what i mean i mean it'd be way dangerous but you see d'onofrio's character i mean he he's completely greedy dinosaur auction yeah that's so that's so stupid who would who would do that just wait uh but anyways uh we do see hold my beer we do we do see a moment which uh one of the trainers falls falls into the cage a follower would have killed him instantly by the way would not have been alive for that i mean that he was like a cat very spry on that yeah (laughs) like you at least got called broken bones dude like you're not moving yeah and we see like, you know, like the moment where like, you know, he's he stands in front of the he stands in front of the Raptors. We also get like our first good look at like the effects in this film. The effects in this film, I think, are the best since the first, maybe uh, even better than the first. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, they're just so sharp. Um, it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel they, you know they, what I mean? they feel they feel tangible enough. Even the small scenes when you see, you know, um, Bryce Dallas Howard or Chris Pratt like touching the the raptors and stuff like that or touching a dinosaur i mean you feel you can feel it like you almost you almost feel there's so much more animation with these with these dinosaurs in this movie yeah i think i know what you're talking about but we'll get to that in a second <laughs> yeah yeah but like even like but like i also like the way they're integrated like you know you have like the like the raptor pen where people can go watch go watch their feedings you have like a uh, you have like a baby dino petting zoo what which, I think is so, a cute idea. Which, is, which is perfect yeah completely yeah um uh, but yeah, I forgot to talk about, talk about uh, Chris Pratt's black sidekick played by Omar Barry, played by Omar C. 
<laughs> who is an actor I, I really love. So I, yeah. I love seeing him. It kind of gives, gives maybe an international type of feel with some of their casting, which I do like because they, they do add a lot of great actors. Uh, but uh, So Claire goes to see, well, first of all, she gets a call from her sister who is just, yeah, she's not happy. It's like, why are you not spending time with my nephew? He's like, bitch, look what I'm running. Look what yeah. I got to do. Yeah. You prepare for Michael Myers. Let me handle Jurassic. Yeah. You prepare for Michael Myers and I'll do my <laughs> shit. Um, uh, so. Yeah. Like, I think, some of the, again, one of the highlights of this film was like seeing like all the different experts at the park. Like one, like one of the things I love, which I would love to attend, because like I'd be, I'd be stupid enough to attend, to attend this park. Uh, oh, the Mosasaurus yeah. most, most tank. Yeah. Which that was like a massive shot in the trailer where you just like see this thing just come up and just like snatch up jaws from the air, dude. And it's it looks massive. Yeah, I remember I remember I saw this in IMAX. Like that whole sequence was like holy shit. Yeah, that's like SeaWorld on fucking steroids, man. Yeah, that's just that's just cool to see. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so Claire goes to recruit Owen for, uh, you know, surveying this new dino. Uh, Owen. <laughs> And Claire, of course, they used to date or dated once. Yeah, well, I went on one date. Went on one date. And of course, it's like the oh, she's organized. He's a free spirit. Oh, conflict. Opposites attract. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> they go into they go to look for the new uh, Indominus Rex. Only thing is they can't find it. Hmm. Yeah, which is odd. Uh yeah, they, they go in, they look and they look, they can't see it. Uh, Owen's saying that this isn't a good idea considering they basically like raised this thing. They basically like raised, they basically raised a sociopath. Yeah. They raised it, kept it, uh, they kept it apart from everybody else. I learned no social skills. And like all of this is like sit in the pan and like eat steers that are dropped via crane. Uh, but yeah, they can't find it and there are claw marks on the wall, on the wall of the side. So <laughs> at least it's to believe the thing escaped. Yeah. Uh, so Claire immediately leaves and bolts to go to the to go to the control center to see where it is because she's got a tracker. Uh, we, she's call, she's calling the control center while driving to ask where it is. Begs the question why she couldn't do that from the view yeah. from the viewing chamber. Yeah, you would you would think. Uh, turns out the dinosaur is still in the cage. What? Which is which is like how is that possible? Well, uh, it's possible because the Indominus Rex can. Shield itself from thermal technology. Yeah, well, way to way to go, guys. Which it has a basic understanding of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's put. Yeah, so I put the claw mark there as a distraction to try and get out, and it gets out because they, for some reason, didn't. Ever some reason felt the need to not put any just human sized doors in this thing, just in case some shit like this happened. Yeah, it's it's only one big door. That's it. One big door. That is it. That's the only way around. That is all. Uh, it gets out, immediately kills two people. Uh, and yeah, now this this new killer dino is like is about wrecking shop on the island. But don't worry, just put some oil on you, motor oil. Put some motor oil on you. It can't it can't smell you because it's, that's, it's, that's, it's, that's, that's, how yeah. that's how that thing works. Yeah, yeah. We also get, uh, we also cut back to this <laughs> is actually funny because. I think I guess a character in in this one is a big problem, and one of the things that they talk about is well, first of all, the the kids I think are just underwritten, and even when they try to give them characters, they don't give them like anything to talk about. First of which, the the kid, the the teenager Zach, he's always just like 
Kid like he's got a girlfriend. He's always like st- like stamoing out, <laughs> like 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 John Stamos, like just like yeah. chatting up random chicks, staring at him. Like, what the it, it's like, dude, your girlfriend was pretty attractive, dude. It was like, yeah, like, you're yeah, doing pretty yeah. well. Yeah, you don't need to sit there and be creepy. Play creepy eyes with uh with the other group of chicks. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that brother's played by Nick Robinson and Ty Simpkins. Uh, but then like they're on this tram and like a grade like starts going off about how his parents are getting <laughs> they don't want to just like we don't fucking care yeah it's like oh no i googled it it's like not a big deal though it's fine like i'm just like i like but like also like they don't set these characters up enough up enough to be interesting to, to be interesting enough for us to care about their parents getting divorced because i mean yeah i mean we've seen their parents in one shot i mean that was it it wasn't we didn't get a you know <clears throat> the the bond with his family or anything you know yeah, you know, it just doesn't really work. Yeah. Uh, but, anyway, but, you know, <laughs> but anyways, aside from that, like I said, scene could have been cut out, it would have been no different. Uh, but anyways, uh, they end up going, they, uh, Ellen ends up getting back to the control center and uh, tells them, like, hey, uh, it's time, maybe, maybe we should just evacuate the island. It's like, uh, no, we need to, uh, no. We're not gonna do that because you know bad publicity. We ain't gonna do. We're yeah. not gonna deal with that. So we're struggling just, for attendance. So they deploy. Yeah, so they're struggling for attendance. Jurassic World it doesn't need that needs bad PR right now. Uh, so they deploy what's called the asset containment unit, which is basically the team that's designated for when something like this happens. Which again, if you need a team, if you need a team for this, probably a sign that this park is not a good idea. They also are. They also are only permitted to use non-lethal rounds. Yeah, which I mean, you might as well just equip them with six and stones. It's a yeah, it's a multi-billion, <coughs> multi-million-dollar dinosaur. So like, they can't just kill it. But you do realize how much damage thing can cause, right? Maybe killing it's the right idea. Yeah. And again, I do like this. I do, I do actually like this scene because like it's dinosaur carnage. But like, I like, I like the build to it because like they thought they find this chunk where the, the tracker is where like she ripped it out. Yeah. Uh, and then. Well, first of all, you see like blood drip onto the guys on the guy's wrist, and like I said, it's like a minor nod, like a subtle nod to the first one, where like the blood drips onto his, his wrist, and the and the drops go in a different direction, which is like a really great nod to the chaos theory conversation that uh, yeah Sadler having the first one, and then you see like this thing can camouflage. Yeah, I mean, like legit, like you can't even see it, and then all of a sudden, bam, it's there. It's like it, super cool, though. Yeah, and then yeah, so the dinosaur massacres the massacres this team, and it's uh, okay. Maybe we need to like shut down part of the island, so they evacuate the entire north side of the island so they can try and contain this thing. Uh, Maserati goes talk goes talk to Doctor Ruin. He's like, "Hey, yo, bruh, what the hell?" And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, you want something bigger, cooler, scarier? I mean, this is it's literally what you paid for." Yeah, seriously. Yeah, so uh, the reason it can do all this stuff is because of all the gene splicing it did. It can it can change it can change its thermal its uh, body temperature because it's got certain tree frog DNA to help attract adapt to tropical climates. It's got cuttlefish DNA, which is how it can camouflage. Basically, it can do anything the plot needed to do. I mean, it's a hodgepodge of whatever, yeah, whatever you want the plot to, whatever you need a plot to do, but it's just like a complete hodgepodge of, of different abilities and put it in a blender. It's also worth knowing that, that's worth knowing that Claire doesn't know what's in this thing. Like, she knows, like, the base the base genome is a T-Rex, but aside yeah. from that, she has no idea. I feel like you're just a shitty, a shitty business person at that point. 
Yeah, so you should know what's what's like what this what's being spliced together. Yeah, like you should know you should know what's being put together at your park. I mean, you you would think you wouldn't want to know. Yeah, yeah, that's something you probably should have info on. Just, just be safe, you know. Yeah, I mean, just looking ahead. Yeah, we also see the, the park. Also, the north side of the park got shut down <laughs> right before Zach and Gray uh, got in these like gyrosphere. It was actually a really cool design. Really cool uh, little like pod. Yeah, they, they they got in and then the ride got shut down, and they were ordered to go back. We're like, you know, we can, we can stay for a couple more minutes. Yeah, I mean, why why not? Why why would you want to listen to the voice of reasoning? Yeah, uh, not only that they think that's a good idea, but they think it's a good idea to go into a restricted section of the islands. Always uh, a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> smart. Uh, so yeah, uh, Claire, after refusing to shut down the island to save uh, you know thousands of people, asks Owen to help her save two. Yeah, because. <laughs> it's almost like she's not like almost like she doesn't want to save them because they're family. She wants to save them because she doesn't want to get in trouble if they get killed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're go they're going off, and that's when they get into like an encounter with <laughs> with the with the Indominus. Oh, we see it fights an Ankylosaurus, which I think I think it really does well. We'll talk about it towards the, the the finale of the film. The dinosaur fights. Yeah, I think are really well executed here. Oh, for sure, a lot more cooler and just definitely a lot more, you know. Again, like they're they're shot they're shot really well. Again, like they, they they bring in that scale that that like massive scale to it. Yeah, and then just like just look, but like seeing these things like these different species throw down in a way that they would probably throw down. Yeah, more attention to detail, like with with all that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Ian. So they, I think the thing I think part where they, they their pod goes upside down, and then like almost got it. <laughs> the thing just looking at it was like, hey. What's that? Yeah, because you can hear it. All you hear is the vibrating of the phone. That, but the, the way he's just like sitting outside the pod, looking at him, like, "How you doing? You're gonna be my, you're gonna be my snack, <laughs> much." <laughs> uh, so they end up esca- escaping from this thing, and that's when we see some of the carnage that the Indominus is causing. This is in you were talking about earlier when they're when they're touching, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the brontosaurus. This is not CGI. This is actually practical. It's crazy. It looks so real. Yeah, like this is this is one more uh, the one of the original uh, special effects team members, uh, Phil Tippett, was brought back in to, was brought back in to work on this one to do yeah. some animatronic stuff. And yeah, uh, the Brachiosaurus scene is that actor thing is actually quite good because you know it it like it it is sad because you see like how like, how badly the thing's been ravaged. Yeah, I mean he's clearly dying, but I mean it's just the attention to detail, kind of what I said earlier, is just it's so tangible you could feel you you could feel them touching it you know what i mean yeah you, you, can, you can practically feel this thing's last breath like that's that's how yeah. that like that's how like ever present it is i oh i also gotta throw some credit to the score uh michael g michael giacchino scored this one i think i think his scores look very um you know he takes the, he takes the cues from the william score from the from the first film but also you know adds his own kind of spin to it which i do which i do really like but knows when to pepper him in though too. Exactly. It's not it's not over over indulgence and it like beat you over the head constantly with that na 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 na. Spliced in perfectly at the right times. Yeah, we also see that this thing is like just like shredders like murdering dinosaurs because it can. Uh, and and like you see the the whole entire like breadcrumbs of dead dinosaurs on the on the ground. It's just it's it's completely crazy. 
Yeah, so they still got to track down Zach and Gray, but uh, Zach and Gray end up <laughs> where else in the original Jurassic Park building? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Of all the places in the island, this is where, this is where they go. Uh, it's nice. It is, it is, you know, a little nice to see, nice to see some of the Easter egg they have here. Like they have like the, the headset, the Jeeps, the, ban- yeah. the banner says, Welcome to Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they get the idea to try and rig up a Jeep, a Jeep that has been sitting there for 20 years. Uh, probably is not going to start. Just gonna throw yeah, that out not there. Good, yeah. I think I think all they do is change the battery, which is like, yeah, the, the, the thing needs way more than a new battery. Like it's gonna need, Dude, it's gonna need air in the tires, maybe yeah. new tires, gasoline because the, the gasoline probably like way the, bad. The, the gas would not be. I mean, the gasoline would not be still intact. Yeah, but regardless, they end, they end up doing it, and uh, they end up doing it, and you know, uh, Claire and Owen are always right behind them. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, back back at home base, uh, they decide to get the idea. They have oh, it's not it's not it's not an M80. Uh, it's, it's 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 like it's like a mini gun that they strap to they strap to uh, the choppers that can try and fly and to, and take it out. Yeah. Uh, like I said, much like Irfan Khan, he gets the his character gets the brilliant idea to fly this thing himself. Yeah, not a very good pilot. Baller move, but. Yeah, I mean, kudos for uh, for trying, but not a not a good pilot. Yeah, so uh, they go and try and shoot this thing down. Despite this thing, this thing is like the size of a building. They can't they can't fucking kill. They can't hit the ship. Save their lives. <laughs> yeah. uh, he ends up in the I think it's called the aviary or the birdhouse or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but he he crashes he crashes through it. Uh, they fly out. They crash into the helicopter. That crashes in. All the all the prehistoric birds are flying out. Uh, we see them flying towards the park. And that's the thing I got a question. Like all these dinosaurs, they say in the movie, all these dinosaurs have uh, electroshock chips yeah. that they can use whenever they get to close to close to a barrier. Why Yet when you, this yeah. giant horde of flying killer murder birds is flying towards the park, those they decide not go. to use them. Yeah, it's like, why would you want to use them? Yeah, like, you know. Should we, should we use the thing that we say, like, we say like, exclusively shock dinosaurs? Nah, we're yeah. good. Yeah, that's that, that was just put in there just in case we needed it. Yeah, but and, well, it was done because when you, we, it, was, it was done at the cost. Well, that logic is sacrificed in the name of a really fun dinosaur, like a killing spree sequence because. Again, you got all these people bottlenecked into this park. Like Twenty thousand, by the fact that this this park apparently losing attendance. Yeah, <laughs> they're all here. Very low attendance all today. Just being like swarmed by these things, and this is the thing that this is like a really cool element that we haven't seen in a Jurassic Park film yet. Because yeah. what, what have we seen? Like dinos in the jungle, or like maybe like once in the street, uh, and even then it was just one. We never seen like a massive horde of dinosaurs attacking a crowd of people. And actually. Yet. Yeah, and actually touching and like picking them up and like doing stuff with them, you know what I mean? Yeah, actually like, interacting with them. Like this is a really cool thing. Like it's 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 chaotic, it's yeah. frantic, yeah, it's slightly horrifying, it's thrilling. I think this is like a really great new addition to the Jurassic Park canon. No, I, I do too. I think it's like almost kind of like Hitchcockian, kind of like yeah. uh, with the with the birds and shit. Like I just that chaos, utter chaos and moments yeah, you, of you, going. You gotta feel that, that you influence know. there. You know, you know what I mean. Just that that chaos and like oh my god, like frenzy and stuff like that. It's a it's a really cool moment. Definitely adds a lot to this movie. Yeah, 
we then get maybe the most unnecessarily complicated death I've maybe ever seen in a for a minor character uh, that yeah, I've maybe talking, ever seen in a movie. Talking about the chick. So yeah, the whole time, uh, so they're uh, <laughs> they're being looked over by Zara, which is a uh, Claire's British assistant, uh, who like she she loses them halfway through, which is why they're able to go and do stuff by their own. Yeah. Uh, so she, she gets picked up by a pteranodon, dropped, picked up by another pteranodon, dropped into dropped into the water, picked up yeah. again. Like repeatedly dunked in, like being like baptized for her sins or some shit, and then, and then like she's picked up by a pteranodon, picked up like to fly away again. But before they fly away, the source comes up and then just like chops. Yeah, it's like why did we get? It's like why the hell did we go through all this? I'm like, what? What is? Like why is? I mean, look, it's 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 a fun sequence, but like, why the hell? What did this? What did this chick do to piss somebody off, man? Like, yeah. And this is this is the thing I, I do want to talk to you about this because, like, a lot of this is this is thing that caught a lot of controversy from people saying, like, oh, it's too cruel. That character didn't, didn't deserve that. And I, I, I have my thoughts on it, but you know, I'll just tell you. Do, do, do you think? Do you think this was too much? I mean, you mean her death? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, but to me, it's like, you know. It, you expect death scenes in these types of films when you're going up against, like a David and Goliath, you're going up against this juggernaut. You expect these types of death scenes, you know what I mean? So, like, to me, it's like it didn't, it's not offensive. I mean, you kind of expect it comes with the territory, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my, my whole stance is like, it's, 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 it's a monster movie. And yeah, like, it's, it's, sometimes characters, like characters who don't deserve a necessarily complicated, cruel deaths. Get get axed off in really cruel ways, and yeah, that's, that's how it is. I mean, it's not like it's not like the move. It's not like the move. It's not like the actress is is going through all the shit. She's fine. Yeah, it's like I have to tell my wife like whenever we watch movies, like she gets always she hates movies where like animals get killed, and I have to remind her, honey, you realize that the animal's fine. Like it's yeah. not dead. Yeah, um, like, it's, it's, yeah. it's fake. Like it, it's fine. But also like you know like if I'm the actress like I think I I can't find anything where like she was over, overly critical of it. Only thing I could find was like her saying like I get to, I get to film I get to film my really cool death scene like I'm on a behind the scenes promo. But like if that was me, I'd be psyched that I get the coolest death in the movie. Well, that and it's the one that everybody's gonna remember though. Exactly. So to me, it's like I'm good with it. Yeah. So I, I I think I think getting upset over that scene I think is personally it's it's a, it's a little silly in my opinion. It's it's stupid. Like I said, you 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 know what you're signing up to when you go into a dinosaur, like you said, a monster movie, a dinosaur movie, uh, humans against this juggernaut, this this big Goliath. I mean, you it's gonna it's gonna it's bound to happen. Like it's like all bets are off, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, with, and well, with passing uh, Mr. Masrani. <laughs> Uh, Hoskins is now in charge of the outfit <laughs> because you know, this can't this can't go wrong at all. <laughs> oh, we also see that uh, Owen, Owen, and Claire like they they kiss and are maybe back together or something. I don't. The chemistry between them isn't like great. It's like a tennis. It's back and forth, man. And yeah, the chemistry is it there? Is it not there? It's like eh, it's like whatever way you want to believe, man. Yeah, they feel like they're together not because they have anything in common, because you know, like she's he's the main character and she's the female main character. Because storyline, that's yeah. why. I mean, anyways, Hoskins ta- Hoskins takes over the outfits, and he is going to use the Velociraptors to go and smoke this thing, go track this thing and smoke it out. Uh and he's like, he even says like to oh, like this is happening with like I need you to help to help me like, coordinate this. And, like, this yeah. is happening. With or without you, if I'm going to be like, 
you know what? Do it without me. Fuck, yeah. fuck off. Say like, you couldn't do it without me. Like, like, yeah, like that. No, I'm the only. I'm the only one who's trained these fucking things. You can't do this without me. So no, calling your bluff. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, it's like okay, you know what? Fine, I agree. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the raptors on the on this, you know, on this mission. Uh, so yeah, we then we then get the visual that I swear this whole movie was built around Chris Pratt riding a motorcycle side by side with raptors. Oh, it was a poster cover for God's sakes. Yeah, I mean it's super cool though. It's, it is it is a cool visual. Uh, so yeah, they're going to track down the Indominus Rex. How the hell do they expect these things to take it down? I have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, they go and they find and they find it. They got it cornered. It's not moving. They got perfectly clear shots, but something's wrong. They're communicating, and that's when we get the big reveal that this giant dinosaur that looks like a raptor, at the intelligence of a raptor, hunts like a raptor is part raptor what yeah um i mean look at the fucking thing yeah i mean definitely not not a surprise reveal but i mean it's like uh. yeah so but like i think it's my other one like they, they have it they have it hunting now we're just like okay yeah they're gonna go talk to <laughs> they're, 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 they're gonna go hunt this down we're actually gonna hunt this down gonna take it down it's gonna be awesome we're gonna do we're gonna do this yeah and talk, it's like hey we're gonna hey, like hey, Irex, we're gonna take you down. <laughs> and I was like, you know what's cool? Eating people. And they're always like, damn, that does sound really cool. <laughs> they, just, they just turn on this on this navy team. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, we get a much better version of the uh raptors in the grass scene from the lost world as the raptors are now turn have now turned on the on the on the military. Uh we get one scene where it seems like they're gonna, they're gonna kill the black guy. You know that scene where like he's in the log, and he's like, ah. Oh yeah, well, he's 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 getting ready to fight. He doesn't know whether he's going to shoot his gun or not. Yeah, yeah. Like, like okay, well, yep. <laughs> okay, so every Jurassic Park film, black guy dies, but they don't do that. So give him credit yeah. for it. They do not. Cre- they do not kill the black guy. No, oh, and honks the horn and 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 creates a diversion. Yeah, leads leads them out. Uh, now we're now we're running from ra- now we're running from raptors too. Uh. Uh, Wu is taken off the islands because you know he because he's valuable. They need they need him for further genetic research. So they get they get him out of there. They send him into they fly him into the sequel. Uh, and then we see them packing up the lab because Hoskins is there. So he's really there working for you know in the best interest of, of Ingen and they want to, <laughs> despite the fact that they have all the evidence in the world why they shouldn't do this, they want to make smaller versions of the of the IREX. To yeah, well, I mean, for military yeah. operations, which if you're not seeing what's going on here, you realize how hard this thing is to control, right? Yeah, it's just going to be a smaller thing that's going to be impossible to control. Yeah, to be expected, Hoskins dies. Uh, we then get a face-off between the Raptors, our main, our main human characters, and the Irex. Uh, but you know, you know, you know what, Chris, you know what, Owen and the Raptors have that the Irex and the Raptors don't have. What would that be? Family, and oh boy. and the connection that comes with the years of training. Uh, yeah. So he convinces the Raptors to turn on the Irex, and we're just like, yeah, go get him, Raptors. Blue family. Get, the, main, the main one, Blue, gets knocked over. The other two get killed. And uh, you're like, oh shit, what do we do now? So the young boy, Gray, is like, we need we need more teeth. 
And so Claire goes off to one of the paddocks. Uh, she has it unlocked by, oh, shit, I forgot to mention, Jake Johnson in this film. A little, a little bit of a waste, but he has, he has, some, he has some, some funny one-liners in there. Uh, she goes to the paddock, it's unlocked, and like, me, me, I'm sitting there just like, oh, damn, what's, what's, in, what's, what's in that one? What are they going to open? It's got to be a T-Rex, right? Yeah, they, they open it, and it's the motherfucking T-Rex. <clears throat> I mean, I, like, I, I, yeah. But the thing is, like, this is the OG T-Rex. Like, the, the T-Rex from, like, the original Jurassic Park. Yeah, this is this is 93 OG, yeah. Yeah, he comes out, he just like, bitch, this is my island. Yeah. And it is, and <clears throat> from, from this point on, this entire climax, it's going down. This, I think, is arguably the best action in the Jurassic Park franchise. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll agree. It's, I mean... Definitely keeps your uh, attention. Because, like, this is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see this. This is this is nature versus nurture. This is classic versus new Coke. This is the thing we wanted to see. We want to see di- like giant fucking dinosaurs throw down. And yeah, the fight, the fights, the the, the fights. It starts off just like, oh shit, here T Rex again. It's ass whooped. It's like, oh shit, what? what, we, what okay, well, if, if the thing loses, what do we do now? But meanwhile. From the distance, from the top rope, Blue comes in. Blue comes in to join the fight. You're my boy, Blue. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> and then we see, and we see, like proceed, like beat the shit out of this thing again. This fight, I, I, I cannot stress like how fucking awesome this fight is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it's back and forth, back and forth. It's fun. It's you're it's you're fun. fun. It's, in, yeah. it's inventive. It's cool seeing these dinosaurs work together in this in this kind of capacity. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's stuff that we've never seen in the other three movies. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's fighting. They beat, they beat, <coughs> they beating the shit out of it like a ton. And then it's like back up to the water. And like, I'm, I'm sitting in the theater. I was, I was sitting in the theater. I'm just like, back to the water. I'm like, deep blue sea, deep blue sea, deep blue sea. And you see the Mosasaur come up and then just like jump and then just drag the shit down. Yep. Oh, man. But yeah. Like, this was an absolutely exhilarating fight. Uh, Zach and Gray returned to their parents. Still probably getting divorced. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, T-Rex gets one final roar like, this is my motherfucking island. King of the hill, baby. King of the hill, baby. And that's where it ends. So why did this do so well? A lot of things. First of which, uh, nostalgia obviously played a big part into it. Especially in 2015. 2015, like people forget, was like a massive year for nostalgia. Like so many franchises that have been dead for like several years, or sometimes sometimes several decades, came yeah. back. I mean, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Terminator, Mad Max, Rocky, the goddamn Peanuts came back for the movie. What year, what year was the reboot with the uh, Ghostbusters one? 16. That was the next year. Ah, uh, okay, never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> Another thing was the marketing for this was outstanding. Oh yeah. The trailers for this were really great. Uh. Also, again, the star power of Chris Pratt coming off of both Guardians and Lego Movie, I think, was a big contributing factor to the box office. Uh, but yeah, uh, Russell, final thoughts on the movie itself, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a fine film. I think there are a little bit of uh, parts where it feels like it drags just a little bit, but for the most part, you know, uh, which, what we've said all along, I think this is the most action we've seen in any of the Jurassic movies, uh, the three previous. Um, it's just the action scenes are more concise, more, you know, um, 
more personal. Uh, just everything about it. It's just it's a fun it's a fun film. We finally get that fun film. This is what Jurassic Park, the Lost World, should have been. You know what I mean? I think this is what we I think we kind of wanted. Uh, we just didn't get. Um, obviously, we ended up getting it 18 years later. But um, no, it was a fun film. It's overall it's 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 a really good film. I will put this uh, second in the uh, in the if we're ordering them here, I'll go with Jurassic Park. I'll go with Jurassic world i'll go jp3 and i'll go the lost world fourth right now that's where we're we're sitting at as we yeah. go into the main finale here i think this is undoubtedly the best Jurassic park sequel i know yeah. like there are a lot of people like should hate this film i don't understand the hatred for it well especially I think when we talk about the next yeah, one, yeah especially considering like what we came off of prior to this yeah i think it's, I think it's, it's, a, per, it's a perfectly fun popcorn thriller yeah. uh again i i think there's a, like a lot of things like characters are underwritten a lot of plot lines that don't make any sense but again, you, again, I like the scale of it. I like the I like the design of the place. I think the, the realization of the park. I think is I think is cool to see on the was cool to see on the big screen. And like I said, all the dinosaur action, especially the final fights, I think is worth the price of admission. No, I completely agree. I, I definitely think this is the best sequel out of the whole entire uh, franchise. And yeah, there's also like like really reinvigorated this this revived the Jurassic Park franchise. Oh yeah, you, you know, wanted to see got, what was we got more sequels. Yeah. We got we got theme park rides, video games, cartoons. Like yeah. this brought it back to the yeah. mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah, this one film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, like I, again, is it anything great? No, but I think it's fun. I'm so it's it's a it's a fine film. It's it's a middle of the road. It's a fun it's a fun time. Um, like I said, it could have been maybe fifteen minutes shorter. I mean, but it's still. I mean, that's a small complaint. It's a fun time. A lot more action in this one as well. But that's good. Yeah, but that's it for the movie. Uh, and we're not, but we're not done with the show yet. Because what we're going to do now is something we usually uh, do at the beginning of the year. Uh, this is usually our first episode of the year is our best performances of the year prior, being 2021. Uh, there are some, still some things I, you know, we both wanted, not wanted and or needed to see before we come up with the finalizing our lists. And, you know, in a time where we are and which we're about to acknowledge the best of Hollywood, uh, we've, we saw now is a fit time to do our best performances of the year 2021. So we're going over our top 20. Uh, so, you know, we're going to go over our list one by one. If one of us has something that the other has, we're gonna skip over it. Just, just, just say skip, and we'll and be able to move on. All right. So Russell, uh, how about you go first? Number twenty. Yeah, I I was kind of basic on this one. It was a movie that I just really enjoyed. Um, it was Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, and I'm going with Anya Taylor Joy. I liked her fine. Oh, real quick, did, did any did any honorable mentions? I forgot to mention. <laughs> you know what? I didn't have. I just really didn't throw any honorable mentions down. Okay, that's uh, fine. That's fine. So you, you, yeah. you can go ahead. Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy and Last Night in Soho was fantastic. I love Edgar Wright's vision for this film. I just, I really just liked the direction this whole entire mystery, darker vibe uh, of a film went. And I and I thought Anya Taylor-Joy was fantastic in it. So I put her at number 20 just to kick it off as we get into the nitty gritty of things. Interesting. Uh, I mean, because if, if I was going to, because I like the movie a lot too. If I was going to pick up one for that movie, I'd have to go Thomas and McKenzie. I think I think now, she was fantastic. Yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah. Before my before I uh, continue with my from number twenty, because my mentioned on my list, like I said, Thomas and McKenzie was very close. Uh, ben Affleck in the Last Duel was was one of those on my list. Yeah, I got look on mention. Yael Mateen was one I I contemplated. Death Patel, Yael Mateen and Candyman, Death Patel and the Green Knight, Idris Elba and the Heart of They Fall, Ryan Reynolds for Free Guy, Riley Keough for Zola, Corey Hawkins for In the Heights, Jeffrey Wright for the French Dispatch, Carrie Russell and Antlers. 
Lady Gaga for House of Gucci, Rita Moreno for West Side Story, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos, Uzo Aduba for National Champions, Ruth Negra for Passing, and Stephanie Beatriz for Encanto. Now, moving on to my actual list. My number 20 is Andrew Garfield for Tick, Boom. And that will be a, we'll talk about it later. Okay. So moving on to, uh, go ahead, Russell. That was quick. Uh, number 19. Um, I went biopic. I went Jennifer Hudson in respect. Um, I, I missed this one. Um, she was really fantastic as Aretha Franklin. I mean, obviously she is a fantastic singer. Um, and so it only was fitting that she was cast as, you know, the queen of soul, uh, Aretha Franklin. So it just, it made sense to me. Um, and I, and I really, really liked it. I mean, this movie does suffer from being a little bit long, which does hurt it a little bit, but overall I thought Jennifer Hudson's performance as uh, Aretha Franklin was fantastic. Uh, and it just, I just wanted to give her, uh, give her a shout out on the list and put her at number 19. I feel like this one's going to be a skip also. Uh, my number 19 is Jessica Chastain in the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, that's a skip. That's good oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk later about that. Um, number 18, I'm going to go something, eh, not cheesy, but like maybe a surprise. I'm going to go Daniel Craig, No Time to Die. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Like to me, it was one of those things where, you know, I – and I, we've talked about it before every uh, other bond film, whether it be Casino Royale skyfall than this um, just hit. Um, and I thought Daniel Craig really brought his a game for this last installment as James Bond. I, I just, I really loved him a lot in this film and it's like the passing of the baton to, to what's next. You know what I mean? Um, I thought he was fantastic in it. And um, yeah, so I got him at number 18. Uh, this is one I know you definitely don't have in your list. Like if I had to finally talk, uh, my number 18 is Coleman Domingo in Zola. All right. So yeah, I figured, yeah, I figured. So call. So this is a movie about a uh, <laughs> sex work, uh, about a, uh, a woman who goes with a sex worker in order to, you know, try to make money in, in uh, South beach. I live in Miami. Uh, great movie though. Huh? Great movie though. A oh, great movie. <laughs> I did Coleman- see it. Coleman Domingo basically he plays essentially what is uh, the pimp of Riley Keough's character. Um, and the thing about his character is like, he's magnetic. Like he's very charismatic. He has his charm to him, but he can flip on a dime to where he can be like absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And the thing where like he does it, the thing he does with his performance, like when he gets angry or flustered, his, his character is like, like Jamaican or something, but, like he has an accent. And it's a thing where like, you know, when someone when someone with an accent experience, experience like a strong emotion, their accent gets thicker. Yeah. So whenever he like, whenever he you know gets angry or flustered or you know, something gets frustrated with something, his accent comes out, and like he becomes the most terrifying presence on screen. Yeah. I think I think Coleman Domingo is an excellent actor. I want one of my favorites working right now, and this performance is one where I like I really start to reevaluate what like how much I've, I I really made me really evaluate how much I like this guy because yeah he's a dude who is like absolutely, he's absolutely phenomenal in this movie and which it didn't get a, it didn't get a lot of playtime which sucks because that's actually a really good movie but yeah, yeah if you haven't seen Zola please go check it out yeah definitely a good a good film for sure um I just didn't put any I would probably put uh some of those performances on an honorable mention for sure. All right, going into my number 17, I feel like we're going to talk about this one later. Um, I got Ariana DeBose and Rachel Zegler for West Side Story. Actually, no, because funny enough. Really? No, well, funny enough, my 17 is also West Side Story, but I have Mike Face. Uh, Oh, okay, okay, cool. Um, I mean, as, as, you know... Uh, Maria in this film, and um, I forget what's Ariana's character's name. Anita. 
Anita, yeah. I mean, they're just both pretty fantastic in this film. Uh, it's kind of hard to choose. I mean, obviously, Ariana DeBose obviously was nominated for an Academy Award, but Rachel Zegler, that's not taking anything away from her. I think she's fantastic in this film. Um, you know, obviously playing the Natalie Wood character. Uh, uh, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really did like the movie okay. Um, it was fine. Uh, I thought they really shine in this. I think they were perfectly casted for this movie. And um, yeah, that's why I got him at 17. See, I think Mike Face was the real standout for me in West Side Storage because, like, it's the, the emotional way he's able to bring to riff a character who I was never my most compelling, my most, my favorite character in West Side Story because I do mm-hmm. love the original movie. But, like, he brings a new dimension and new energy and just like new pathos to the character that I never seen. I'd never seen him before. Like, yeah. he was the one I walked away. I'm just like, fuck, that dude killed it. And he yeah. should be nominated for an Oscar. And also, like, Rita Moreno was my favorite, my favorite supporting, supporting action performance in that movie, <laughs> even over Ariana DeBose. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, Mike Face, I think, was tragically overlooked by a lot of people. And I really hope he continues to work because he, he was so good in this movie. Well, I'm glad we had a little West Side Story time. Uh, all right, going into my number 16, you're going to laugh at me. Um, I Again, I split because, I mean, I think they're both – pretty good in the film um i'm going jared leto and adam driver for house of gucci but jared leto really i liked jared leto's acts i liked his character in the movie honestly i did i mean obviously adam driver is the heavy lifter in his film but i think jared leto's performance in house of gucci is fine Um, i think i think gaga is the heavy lifter in this film well just oh yeah yeah i I, I, I figured just relax here with that kind of stuff right uh, right. you're, you're you're ruining the list but no um i just i really like this film um this movie does suffer from being a little bit long um but sometimes you know slow burns are always you know they're worth it sometimes at the end um i think this movie is far from a perfect movie but it really does put i think really scott does get some really good performances out of his cast um and that's why I kind of have like Jared Leto and Adam Driver together just because um, they both do really well. I like Jeremy Irons as a side character as well, maybe with Pacino. I obviously wouldn't put those guys in there. Maybe honorable mention just because you know they, they deliver pretty solid performances as well. But uh, I got those guys at uh, number 16. No, from, from, from now to the end of time, you like Morbius. Okay. <laughs> look at, uh, look at, can't wait to see it this coming weekend then or next weekend. My number 15, I'm sorry, my number 16 is Lydia Coleman, The Lost Daughter. Okay. Okay. So, you, so I, I, I don't have it. Um, I don't know what happened. Like Some of the movies I put on my list that I thought I saw, I put, what I did was I put the list of movies that I really enjoyed on there. And then I kind of just picked from the list that I had of the movies I seen from 2021. And I maybe just like skipped over it. Great yeah. performance. So, yeah. Yeah. Lydia Coleman, The Lost Daughter, which uh, in this movie, she, uh, she basically plays someone who was kind of, Kind of coming to terms with some decisions she's made when she was a young mother. Yeah, and yeah, she really goes through the emotional gambit of you know like like it's really about like well like regrets and uh, you know guilt, which she perfectly portrayed. And it's kind of crazy, it's like you know how, just how much Olivia Coleman has blown up in the last couple of years to where like I now consider her one of our best working actresses. Oh yeah. Like, she has scenes where, like, you know, it's like through really, like her, these tender moments with these tender moments with, you know, like Dakota Johnson, or these like really like you know, like moments where like she ever she's like all these emotions like build up until they just explode, and you know she unloads on some people in, in, in a certain environment. I don't I don't I don't want to spoil it too much, but yeah, I think like she is excellent, excellent. Oh, for for sure, definitely a raw performance. It says she's very. Uh, 
you know, yeah, it's crazy to put her on there, but yeah, she definitely uh, delivers a fantastic performance in that. Um, Number 15. I really didn't uh, use much thinking as I put Lady Gaga next (laughs) as for house of Gucci. Um, I love Gaga. You you know me. Uh, I am a giant stars born fan. Um, I think she knocks it out for her second role. I think she's fantastic in house of Gucci. Um, She really brings her a game. Uh, It's kind of sad that I didn't, didn't see her get nominated for uh, Oscar this year, but definitely going to to win one eventually. I mean, obviously she won for Shell, but still doesn't really count. I mean, it counts, but you know what I mean. An acting, an acting Oscar. Um, she's good in this. She's really solid in the film. I, I love her performance in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I thought she actually really great, I and mean, I, yeah. I honestly would have. I I might. I think she. This might be a better performance from this one than she than she gave in The Star Is Born, which is crazy. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it goes back and forth because you know. It's her trying to, it's her trying to, you know, stretch herself as an actress more. This This is her story, not his story, though. You know, I think that's kind of, you know what I mean? I think as we get more his story, I think in A Star is Born, because we're we're still like, you know, it's him. You know what I mean? I think she's more of the side, side, she's more of the shadow. This is her, like, where she's not playing a singer or something like she, like, she's like, you can argue where she's oh, playing yeah. herself. Like, no, like she's actually playing. She's going like, she's like trying to like, you know, give an like an acting performance. Like, she's quite, she's quite good at it. So oh, yeah, I'm absolutely. actually excited to see her do more acting in the future. Oh, I agree. Um, number 15 is Simon Rex in Red Rocket. Man, I just, you know, it's funny. I just bought that movie. And I just seen you post it on uh, Letterboxd. Yeah. So, so this is a movie yeah. in which Simon Rex plays a male porn star. who goes back to his hometown and just like everybody there just fucking hates him. And the, the relationship he builds with, with this young with this young woman who he's trying to get into the industry, and I think what's worth like Sam is an actor who I, I rarely thought of if at all prior mm-hmm. to this movie, um, but like after seeing him like oh crap you're actually like really talented yeah uh, yeah like what he's infectiously positive for for a lot of it despite the fact that like everything in this town is just like telling him to fuck off yeah um but what's really but what's really cool about it is like despite the fact that like he's like like in arguably like not a good dude. Like he does things where like it's like like morally you're just like you're just wrong, but he does it in a way where like, like he acts in a way where like he's like has like such a charisma to him where like it's like okay yeah I understand like people fall for your stuff because like you're like you're you're that magnetic, yeah. which I, which I think is a great quality to have, and I think like the way and just the way the movie ends like the levels he has to go to with the, like the ending of the film I think is fantastic I think Simon Rex is a wonderful 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 performance and uh yeah Sean Baker great filmmaker go see Red Rocket all right uh going in uh to number 14 I'm gonna go uh is it Sunia Sydney and Demi uh Singleton for King Richard uh more so Venus's character because Venus is the one that we're really seeing more than Serena but they're both fantastic uh, up-and-coming actresses. So I kind of wanted to give them both a shout-out. Um, I, I think, you know, King Richard really took me by surprise. I mean, I, I love I love tennis, so um, it did and it didn't take me by surprise. But I really, really just uh, – these two up-and-coming actresses really just, like, stole stole the show for me. You know what I mean? Um, obviously, we always talk about Will Smith, but um, I think, you know, they shine as well. I mean, they, they held their own on, on screen with Will Smith. Um, I just think they're fantastic. They have that chemistry with Will Smith as their father in the movie. You believe it. Um, and you see the lengths that they go to try to, you know, to, to obtain greatness. And uh, I just, I, I really enjoy the performances. I love King Richard, uh, the movie overall, but I want to give a shout out to the two, uh, the two young actresses. Uh, all right. My number, my number 14 is uh, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers. 
Uh, so this is a movie in which she plays. So the, the whole premise of the movie is that she is the bond that grows between her and another woman who gave birth on the same day as she did. And the, the things like spiral off from there. And Penelope Cruz gives the best performances I best performance I've seen from her, arguably since Vic Christina Barcelona. Uh-huh. Like it's this one that reminds me like, oh, this reminds me like, oh yeah, Penelope Cruz is still great. Penelope Cruz is great and is yeah. still great. Uh, just like the emotional depth that she has to go to with this character. I, I love the back and forth with uh, her, her baby daddy or her friend, like the way that relationship grows. The point where, and like when her character has to like question things about herself and her life and, you know, her situation. I, and you, you completely, un- and you completely feel her pain throughout the entire film because like she's a character who goes through a lot and you, and you feel every inch of that for, for her performance. I think she's, I think she's fantastic. And yeah, I think she's definitely one of the best of the year. Definitely deserved the best actress them. All right, uh, moving into unlucky number 13. I am going to go again. I split these because again, I feel like they're equal. Like I know that it's it's kind of a cop-out, but it's not because I think they're both equal in this movie. I'm gonna go Matt Damon and Adam Driver in the last duel. Um, you had made an honorable mention, I believe, on that. Um, just a fantastic I, I, I mentioned Ben Affleck. Oh, Ben Affleck. Oh, never mind that. I completely went even away. I went, went to the other two to show some show him some love but uh, I think Matt Damon and Adam Driver are fantastic in this film um, I know we've really sung the praises of the last duel I think it's uh, Ridley Scott's you know better of the two best of the two films and it's, it's just a damn shame we've talked about this before the underperformance of it the way that it did not do really well didn't transfer well in the box office numbers which is a shame because this movie has Oscar Beatty performances Oscar you know written all over it i just i just think it kind of got overshadowed um it's a damn shame because the really good performances uh really fantastic film if you haven't seen it last duel is absolutely great uh it's nice to see really scott even at his older age just having you know having a great great year with uh two two movies that came out my number 13 is marley matlin in coda uh so she plays the mother of the main character and Troy Kotzer is getting a lot of attention, which is what he should. He's, he's fantastic, but I'm surprised how little people talk about Marley Matlin in this film because she's legitimately my favorite, my favorite part of it. Just because I think I kind of akin her to Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird, okay, where like she's strict, she has like this, like, really has like this, like, motherly way about, about guilt that I feel is so authentic. And also, like, I think that she has a couple scenes with both uh Troy and the main character, uh, Amelia. Amelia, Cl- not Clark, fuck, Amelia Jacobs. I can't remember. Amelia Jones, Amelia Jones. And she has one scene where, like, Amelia Jones' character asks her, like, would, 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 would you prefer me to be deaf? And I think like, she gives, like, she has such, like, a, this, like, air about her. And it's, like, this, this motherly comfort to her, but also, like, motherly guilt that you can feel. And it's almost that she's she, like, watch me, like, damn, like, wh- why, where have you been, Marley Matt? Like, I haven't, I haven't seen you in anything in, like, some time. But, like, I want to keep seeing you and stuff because you're, like, because you were such a good actress. Uh, but, yeah, Marley Matlin in Coda, my, my personal favorite part of the movie. Number 12, I got a, uh, a perennial powerhouse, Kate Blanchett, Nightmare Alley. Um, I think she delivers a fantastic performance. She is one of the best actresses working. Anything she does, she is she elevates it just by being in the movie um i think she's fantastic i think she plays great off of cooper in this movie um guillermo del toro i i really love this film and it's a shame that this movie's like yeah it's it's it got nominated but like people were so mad about it like oh nightmare alley should have been not yeah it should have been nominated i'm glad it was because there's frankly there's movies on that list of the best picture that i don't think 
should be on there, you know. But um, I'm glad Nightmare Alley got the love, man. And I love Kate, you know, Kate Blanchett is ruthless. And I mean, she's, she plays uh, opposite of Cooper perfectly. I think she plays like a ruthless character. She's perfect. Um, so I got uh, good old Kate Blanchett at number 12. My number 12 is actually one that I completely forgot was off the list. Uh, was, was, wasn't was on the list. But like, I remember like, oh, crap, he's not there. And so I bumped off my number 20, which is Stephanie Beatrice, to put this guy on and that is, I just couldn't ignore the guy. Kieran Hines in Belfast. Okay. Uh, Kieran Hines plays the grandfather of the main kid. And this is a movie that's stuck with like a lot of great performances. Like Jamie Dornan's great. I really like Katarina Balfe in the movie. Uh, Jude Hill, is the main, Jude Hill's the main character, I think is fantastic. But to me, it's Kieran, it's Kieran Hines that was the standout because like he's never, he's like, to me, he's like the quintessential supporting actor because like, he's never overshadowing anyone, but he still manages to like, be an absolute standout his screen like, time's important yeah yeah it's 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 important like you yeah. you feel that grandfather that grandfatherly connection and like he just he, it was like, he has like this really it's really warm presence to him yeah. that and, and i'm just a sucker for like you know grand characters but i also think that yeah. like, this, is, this is this is like a, t- a tenderness that i've never quite seen from Kieran Hines before. So yeah, definitely, uh, I definitely my favorite form, supporting actor performance of the year. Uh, that's why I put him. Well, no, not my favorite, but like my favorites that will be nominated for the year. All right. I am going to, uh, I'm switching my 10 and 11. It's not that big of a deal, but it's just because they were, he was already recognized for an Oscar. I'm going Daniel Kalua and uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, half skip. I do have one of those on the list later. Okay. And I just want to talk, I think, you know, fantastic performances. I mean, Daniel Kalua is uh, absolutely phenomenal in this. I know you're a big Lakeith Stanfield fan. Um, both are fantastic in this movie. I think this movie is super engaging. And um, I, you know, I just wanted to give it its props. I know it's kind of like water under the bridge just because of the fact that we've already, you know, crowned him. Uh, he's already got an Oscar. So it was one of those ones. I, I just wanted to, you know, make mention. It was still a fucking great performance. So it's definitely top performances of 2021. So I got the two of those in Judas and the Black Messiah. My number 11 is Nicolas Cage in Pig. I scratch that because I had I had him on there. That's more of an honorable mention, but yeah. So yeah, Nicolas Cage <laughs> and Pig. I guess the movie where if he if he's very he's very reserved, except for when he's not. But like I, that sounds like a negative, but it's, it really isn't because the whole thing is about emotional emotional attachment, and you know, like trying to recover from a big loss. I guess yeah. the, that's the entirety of what the go the character is. But like and like you know, he has this like this sage wisdom to him. This like. But also while coming off like this complete like intimidating like some like, kind of crazy guy you don't know if you can trust or not. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. Cage in this film is he's in recent years he's kind of reminded us like oh no like I I may be a meme but I'm also like still an incredible actor. Yeah. And it's movie like this that like prove like just like how great Nicolas Cage can be. Oh, for sure. I mean, I completely agree. Um. Number ten. Uh. Gotta go. Bradley Cooper. Nightmare Alley. I feel like we I skip. I, skip. Okay, I will talk about it. Ah, now my turn, bitch. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, but number ten, uh, this mine, this one is a two version because I, I couldn't pick one of the two of them. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's uh, Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman from Licorice Pizza. I didn't, even, I didn't even think to put them in there, and I should have. So yeah, this is one where like they're both great. The reason that they share the spot is because I genuinely <clears throat> could not pick a separator. Because like you know, I'll think about like like Alana. I how much I like Alana Haim in the movie, and then like I think like oh, but Cooper Hoffman has that like one scene 
Or yeah, play off each other, though, yeah. yeah like, like, they're so kind of like what the Adam Driver and Scott Johansson Mary story. Yeah. Like, they're so integral to each other that I, just, I can't separate. I can't pick, I can't pick an outright favorite. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, um, I think they totally make you buy, like, they, they play their characters in a way where, like, you forget the, you forget the age gap even exists, which is the I thing mean, I have a hang up on. But I think, you know, like, exactly like, you know, how young Alana Hines' character is at heart and how much older and more mature Cooper Hoffman's character feels than he yeah. actually is. Like, it, it, they do the do job of making you forget about how, how inappropriate this relationship can be conceived. Well, now, you lose sight of that. that. I don't get it. Yeah, you, but you lose sight of it because, like, you're looking at them as people. And I think yeah. that's, that's important. That's important to it. No, but yeah, like, like both, like these are two horns that I think are just like so connected that I could, I couldn't pick one. So yeah, definitely a top 10. All right. Cool. Uh, number nine, I got Andrew Garfield in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Really? Um, I really liked his performance in this movie. I, I'm big on this movie. Uh, I've been big on it since I've seen it. Um, I think he so just got, delivered... so you got Andrew Garfield on your list twice. I do. This is true. Damn. I know. Okay. Have, have a year Spider-Man, right? <laughs> uh, I have a year, but um, obviously the other one's better performance. But still, this is really good performance. I just didn't, I didn't want to split it again with that stupid, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm saying two names again. I didn't, I don't want to ride that out all the time because I, I, I've done it quite a bit in this list. But it's just how I felt when I composed the list. You know, I just, I feel like they're, you know, I, I can justify it, I guess. But um, Andrew Garfield, Isaac Tammy Faye is fantastic. I think he really de- delivers a really solid performance. Um, and him and, and Jessica Chastain obviously play well off one another. Definitely a solid, solid performance. Not his best one of the year, though. Uh, my number nine is Peter Dinklage in Cyrano. Didn't see it. I want to see that movie, though. Yeah. This, to me, is the best uh, perform- musical performance of the year. Just because, despite the fact that like he, I don't think he's as good a singer as Mike Face or maybe Andrew Garfield. But I do think that he brings this, I, I love the emotional weight he brings to the character of Cyrano. And like the like the most like the emotional way he brings to like the talking scenes, so like okay. he's running through like such a gamut of emotions. I love I he's, he's he's charismatic, he's magnetic, but like you feel that lack of confidence in someone that the character Cyrano is supposed to have. He he portrays that perfectly. But and I also I also I do like I do like his singing voice in the movie. Um, but yeah, this is he's a guy who I think was. I think he was robbed of a best actor nomination. The only reason he didn't get it was because MGM monumentally fucked up that release. Yeah, but yeah, I think that he, I think that he's excellent, and he proves, and he continues to break barriers and proves that he's one of the best actors, just period. Not one of the best actors, who's also a little person. Yeah. All right, uh, number eight. I, I hate doing these slashes because this is going to be are you crazy? Uh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, and uh, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog. Just because, just because you got forty that- people and it's in a twenty spot list. Just because, just because, I, w- I just want to throw it out because I love the three of their performances. I again, I said Cody Smith and McPhee uh, overshadowed them as I watched it. Um, Cumberbatch just delivers a great performance. Um, definitely, really makes you hate his character. Kirsten Dunst, you kind of feel for because, but then she's wrestling, you know, with uh, alcoholism and stuff like that, and she's just, you know, very timid. And then you have Jesse Plemons, you know, the the bro- the brother of Cumberbatch, and just the the you know. Uh, the yin to the yang, you know what I mean? He's the calmer one. He's the voice of reason. He is the, uh, you know, the, the more uh, family oriented man. Um, I just, I, all their, I don't know. I guess it's just all interwoven for me. I just, I had to put them on there because they all, all great performances out of the three of those. I 
would out of the three of them, I throw probably I throw Kirsten Dunst at one, Cumberbatch at two, and Plum is at three. So then I make a Kirsten Dunst if you, if you really want to. But um, I, all three of them fantastic performances. I, I hate doing the splits. Uh, I, I had a, I had a third of a skip there, but I let you go anyway. Uh, but okay, but uh, I only have one more split, and then we actually have one person per choice. Okay, and I'll work uh, on 20, 2022. We'll only have one spot per person. I got I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> my number, what I'm, I'm number eight, right? Yeah, eight. My number eight is uh, Jody Comer in The Last Duel. Okay, which, which was my favorite performance of the entire film, which is kind of crazy considering just how much talent is stacked in that film between oh, uh, absolutely. Him and, and Adam Driver. I think she's the standout because I think she's able to portray, she's able to go places with her character that the others are not. Yeah. By the fact that much I love Ben Affleck, but I think the way Comer is able to, like what Comer's character has to go through is the fact that like, it's like the earliest Me Too case of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And she's able to like go to the depths of like what happens, like what's, it's like pushing the mindset, like what's it like when this horrific thing happens to you and nobody wants to believe you. Just yeah. because just because you're a woman, I think the I think you feel that with her performance, and she is excellent. Like to me, this is one of the biggest snubs of the Oscar season. I think she definitely deserved the best actress nomination. In fact, she didn't get one. I think I think it's an absolute crime. But yeah, she is she's absolutely fantastic. I think that she she's someone who I think is going to be a great actress for years to come. All right, this is my last split one, I promise. Uh, my number seven, I got Jude Hill and Jamie Dornan for Belfast. Um, I really love Jude Hill. It's such a young youngster that really just really showcases, really stars in this film. Um, I just, I really, the, of the, you know, the, the, the face of innocence pretty much, you know, and then you have Jamie Dornan as his father, um, delivers a, a great performance. I just, he, I wanted he's to- He's so good. He's so good. And that's, and that's the thing. I just, I really wanted to, to, to really throw that Dornan out there too, because I think he should have been nominated for, for an Oscar. Um, I just think he's really fantastic in the movie. And um, yeah, I just, I really he, love Belfast. He deserves, he deserves not more than, than J.K. Simmons will say that. Yeah, so to me, I, to me, I, I gotta, I gotta represent, I gotta represent a little Jamie Dornan there. All right, uh, my number seven, right? Yeah, number seven is one that you had earlier. Uh, it's Daniel Kaluuya in *Jews and the Black Messiah*. Keith Stanfield's great, but like, I think he's easily the best part of the film, uh, just because I think that he perfectly portrays why Fred Hampton was seen as such a threat to the to the to the then government, and was seen as such such a revolutionary mm-hmm. to black people. Like he was like, he was this caramel is this like super magnetic, super powerful leader. And you were hanging on his every single word. Like I've like, I've gone back and just like watch clips of just like just even giving speeches. Like he's so good. He's so good at commanding a room. And I say this, this performance that like he would win an Oscar for, but he already has, <laughs> he already <laughs> won an Oscar for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Jesus, like aside, he was, he, he's fantastic. And I, I really, I really enjoyed him a lot. And he was a definite, definite standout. He's going to be, going to be a great actor for years to come. Number six, this is going to be the one every year. There's that dark horse of a movie, that Russ movie that nobody's seen. I'm throwing it your way right now. And number six, I got Isabel Fuhrman for the novice the hell is this she is the chick from orphan do you remember that one? Oh yeah all right she plays this is like a mix of whiplash to me only this is like a sport uh rowing meets you know whiplash uh pretty much a chick that will go through any possible uh you know 
uh, extents to, to, to make the rowing team, to, to constantly push yourself to constantly do better and better and better and just, and just be successful. Uh, I think it's a fantastic performance. I think she's really great in this film and she's grown up since we've seen her in orphan. Um, I think Isabel Fuhrman delivers, like I said, this is a, a, a haunting performance. It reminds me a long, a lot, a lot along the lines of whiplash with um, Miles Teller's character, just about that. When you get into, you know, you get into something that you want so bad, you're going to go through anything, hell or high water to go through, you know, to, to get that outcome that you want. Uh, she's really great in this movie. I absolutely recommend checking this one out. Yeah, leave it to you to find some rando film. <laughs> you're welcome. Listen, I gotta, you know, I gotta keep it fresh sometimes, man. I, you know, we get bored yeah. with the same movies, you know? Yeah, all right. Uh, my number six is Denzel Washington, Tragedy Macbeth. I haven't seen that one yet, obviously. Yeah, I don't have Apple yeah. Plus. Uh-huh. This is, uh, Denzel's big return to Shakespeare. He hasn't done uh, Shakespeare movies since uh, Much Do About Nothing back in the 90s. Um, this is one where he brings... Like, it's like this, like this. He's as good as you would think he'd be when you say the words, Denzel Washington does Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, like he brings the methodical nation of Macbeth to really bring the warrior of Macbeth to life, and just like the the mad king aspect he does just perfectly. I I, I love this movie, and he's like the main reason for it. He's he's just so so goddamn excellent in this film. It is again every possible great thing you can think about uh, when you think um Den- watching Den- watch as Macbeth, he does it. And he does it beautifully. I, I, again, if you're going to have a plus to watch code, if it wins that picture, watch this too. <laughs> All right, our top five. Uh, going into number five, we got Cody Smith McPhee for Power of the Dog. Um, kind of just what I said before, I think he is just a fantastic part of this movie. His timid character um, then obviously starts to befriend or uh, Benedict Cumberbatch obviously starts befriending, uh, you know, Cody Smith McPhee's character. And then we just, we just get to see Cody Smith McPhee just kind of blossom as, as, as he takes over the role, uh, takes over the film. I just think he's a fantastic actor up and, you know, up and coming actor. He's a young guy, just really fantastic in this movie. Um, and I really think, like I said, he, I think he delivers the best uh, performance out of anybody in this one. All right, my number five is Bradley Cooper in Nightmare Alley. I think that it's tragic that he gave two of the best performances of his entire career in the same year and didn't get nominated for either. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely, it's a shame, but I, I would lean towards this over licorice pizza. He's great licorice pizza, but he's only in for like 10 minutes. That's fantastic. in it though. Yeah. But I think that the difference here is that he actually gets more of a character to play with in this one. Yeah. And just like, it's like how much he evolves throughout the film. Because like he's like you know he's like super stern at the start and then like he starts to learn gets more comfortable with himself and then like his hubris and his ego take over and then you see like just like really like just like despicable character and then when we get to the end of the movie which I won't spoil but like when you see like where he where he gets to and just like his acting in like the final final scene of the film it's just he's just so fucking incredible like that's an actor who I like firmly believe will win an Oscar at some point. Oh, he has to. I mean, he's just fantastic. Yeah, like he's just—he's so damn good. But yeah, like, like Nightmare Alley, he's—he's he's phenomenal. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, I—I I have him obviously in my my top ten. I think he's fantastic in the movie, and I love how he plays off Kate Blanchett. Um, all right, number four, I got Jessica Chastain, Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, I mean, there's not there's not enough words to 
describe her performance in this. Like, it's a transcending performance. When I saw the trailer, I didn't even recognize it was Jessica Chastain. That's how great the makeup, uh, the makeup was in this movie. Um, that's why I kept pushing you to see this one. I think she's fantastic. She knocks this, she knocks this scene completely out of the out of the park. Um, she is just it, it's just crazy to see what her and her husband, you know, uh, would do. It's like just the, the 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 what they went through. You know, what I mean to uh to spread the word you know and um just it's just it's just so crazy i think they play again they play well off of one another but jessica chastain steals this show in this movie um this is easily i would say easily one of her best performances of her career i put molly's game right up right behind her but i think this is this is pretty much her a game here i would agree and that's like i don't love the movie i think she's excellent in it and mm-hmm. i especially love like just how portray one thing i wish that the movie did more where like i love how portrayed like her differ her differentiating views from the standard of of what was believed by her religion like yeah. i love the scene where she's talking to that aids patient on yeah. via video call i think it's where she's just like she's just she's like bearing it all emotionally yeah and yeah the fact that she's able to you know just like good performance where like, she's just completely unrecognizable and I think I think just the fact that she, like, makes you forget that it's her. I think is, it's crazy, dude, and she yeah. looks exactly like Tammy Faye. It's so crazy. She does, and yeah. So Jessica Jessica is great. All right, um, my number. It's my number five, right? Four, four. Your four. So my number four is Renata Rainsavy from Worst Person in the World. Okay. Yeah. So uh, she stars as uh, the main character. I, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the, the name of the character because I really do love this movie. Hold on. Uh, hold please. Uh, Julie. Yeah. So she starts as Julie and basically we follow her as she, uh, goes along her, 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 as an adult, we see her in like actual like adult relationship and how she tends, she tends to lean towards self-destructive, self-destructive behavior. But the thing is it never becomes an unlikable trait of hers. And the movie makes you understand why she tends to behave this way. And, but like, despite the fact that like she does things that like are, even though like morally questionable, you're still rooting for her to be happy. Like she still managed to craft, like be like a really likable, like you're still like someone like you want to root for, you want to see things work out for her. You want to see her be happy. It's just someone who like, she has a really hard time with it just because that's who she is. Uh, I think she, yeah, I think she's, fantastic and she's someone who i don't know if i'll see more of but i really hope i do and i hope she has some more success as far as like mainstream stuff because i think she's someone who like i will obviously like the public know her name all right uh going into our top three here uh number three andrew garfield tick tick boom um i just love what he brings as jonathan larson obviously the uh guy behind rents um you know i just you, you get to see all sorts of things that he's juggling. He's juggling a personal life. He's juggling work. He's juggling, you know, friendship. He's juggling everything. And, and it's just, it, it's amazing just that how much, like how easy it would have been for him to give up, to just stop and say, you know what, this isn't working. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be done with it. But he juggles it and he, he ends up, you know, writing. I, I figured this is the, um, well, what the heck is he writing on this one? It's not. Um, oh, Superbia. Superbia, yeah. Um, this is the one that he did right before Rent. So, well, this know, one never got made. I thought that it never, never got made. It never got made. Well, I thought he he wrote it though, didn't he? He, he wrote, wrote the, it, but the whole the whole thing is like he wrote this musical that it never got produced. 
Uh, well, yeah, okay. Well, and then, but the thing is, the music and everything about it is just very, you know, it's just it's it's fan, it's fantastic. I think it's some of the best, uh, you know, music uh, musical of the of the year for me. Um, I just again, and it was one of those ones where you know he put everything into it, and it just wasn't enough. Um, and even his agent or whoever uh, was like, yeah, it's like yeah, see if you can do it again or something like that. And it's like, well, I already did this. Like, isn't that enough? Um, and obviously, you know, the rest is history. He, he put out rent and, you know, jo Jonathan Larson was, was, a, was a household name, you know what I mean? And the, the run on Broadway that rent did and just the, what it did for, you know, the Broadway community, just, a, you know, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic play and just a great performance in this movie. Um, I think Andrew Garfield really delivers one of the best performances of his career in this movie. Yeah. I think, um, it's, I think he's quite, I think he's quite good. I think he gets a little too cartoony for my taste and uh, okay. certain scenes, but uh, but he but he can but he commits to it and that's what and that's why i give him credit for yeah. uh he also i i also was impressed by his singing because he, he did learn to do it for the movie oh it was, it was great yeah, absolutely yeah yeah so i it really this just showed a new dimension of andrew garfield that i hadn't seen before so yeah yeah no I, was, I think i think he's i think he's great uh my number three is one that you had earlier but i'm I, i'm a man and i have him singular it's uh benedict Cumberbatch in the power of the dog Whatever. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get everybody some some shout outs here. That's what I'll mention it for Russell. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So uh, in this film, yeah, he plays the main character, and I think what's I think what's cool about him is the fact that just how much his character, how many different levels his character has that you gradually unveil, like to the point where like you know he starts off like he's like a real dick. Yeah. Like, he's almost like super sinister. It's like, oh my god! Like you're just, you're just like this like massive villain. But then yeah. when Coach McPhee's character comes in, he he saw he softens up, and then you start to learn more about his past, and you're like going about it, like his, like his deeds of the past, and it's like, damn! Like this this character this character's got more going on, and like yeah. this, this is character a character performance that like has a lot of like nuances that you wouldn't notice on a first view. Like, you may not notice on a first viewing, yeah. but I think is massively impressive. It's another testament to why I think Cumberbatch is truly one of the best actors working today. And another guy who I think probably is going to eventually win an Oscar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two, I got Christian Stewart and Spencer. I skip. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number two is Will Smith in King Richard. That's a skip. How about okay, that one? Okay, so we know what the number ones are. So. How about we just did that one? So, uh, all right. So let's, let's talk about uh, uh Will Smith, yeah. Will Smith in this uh, right. gives what might be the best performance of his entire career. Yeah, just the I fact mean, that would, yeah, it's like just the emotional depth he goes to. The, the the scenes with him and his wife and him and his daughters, I think, are all fantastic. The fact that you just feel how much love he has for his daughters, how much he believes that his daughters truly going to be the best, that he's willing to put everything on the line, do anything to get them a shot. You feel that fatherly love, you feel that bond, you feel that heart in every single second of his performance. I yeah, think, and I, I think that's why he's excellent. No, and I agree. Uh, I'll also put Pursuit of Happiness right up there with the same type of feels. Um, I think he's just fantastic in that movie. That might be one of his best performances as well. Um, but yeah, I think he's fantastic at King Richard. Obviously, I have him number one. Um, kind of what you said, you know, he sacrificed everything to get his daughters who he believed in. Like these, these girls were going to be the next big thing in, in women's tennis, and sure as shit, they both were. Um, you know, uh, what they did for, you know, the tennis, you know, world is that, you know, you look at the, the titles of the one by both of them, you know what I mean? They've completely upended the whole entire tennis world. Um, and I just think that his 
you know, dedication and, and, and commitment to them, never beating an eye, never saying, you know, never telling his daughters, no, I'm speaking for a father, you know, as a father, it's just, it's huge. And um, just, you know, just a great performance. Yeah. But yeah, I promise that is very likely going to win him best actor tomorrow as recording this. There we go. And uh, yeah, I want to talk about uh, Kristen Stewart and uh, uh, Spencer. Yeah. I mean, what's there to say? I mean, this is, Twilight's quote Kristen Stewart and 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 Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman. Batman, like, are we in this? Are, like, are Taylor Lautner still sucks though. Yeah, he's still waiting for Abduction Part Two or some shit. I don't know. Um, Case Two's great in this movie, man. Um, just just her, just what she's wrestling with, what's going on behind the scenes with the royal family and stuff like that. Um, obviously, we know that her and Prince Charles aren't getting along. Um, she's faking a lot of faking a lot of her feelings, putting up a, a facade for people and for, you know, the only time that she can actually be herself is with her kids. And we get to see just how, well, how great of a mother she really was, how much she really loved her, uh, you know, loved William and, and Harry, you know, um, it's just it's just it's a fantastic performance. And you wouldn't think that Kristen Stewart would be the type to do this. You know, what I mean, Charlie's Angels, Kristen Stewart, like this is what we're going to get. She really elevates the game and she elevates her acting game in this movie. Doesn't miss a beat. Um, it's just it's a it's a great movie. And I, I really hope she captures gold tomorrow. Kristen Stewart's one that she really I think she's been recently she's been done a lot to separate her from the Twilight brand. Yeah. This one, I think that I probably felt a lot of pressure because like if she if, if she fucked this up. Like she wouldn't, she wouldn't hit the anime because she's like she's a American woman who's playing one of the most iconic British figures in the last thirty years. Oh, easy. But I think what she does right is first of all she she portrays Diana's persona perfectly. Like yeah. she has, she portrays her grace, she portrays her power, public persona. Like it's how she wanted to be perceived by the world, her private life. But also, like I love her scenes with her and hair with her and her boys. Like the scene where they're playing, like uh, I don't think it's like well, it's like major, major or soldier in the middle of the yeah. night. I think it's just like, yeah. it's just such a touching scene. Yeah, but man. also, she portrayed like the pain of Diana, like how much she was scrutinized by the public, how much she was in the public eye, which was which was something that added a like a lot to add a lot like, a lot of emotional terror to her. Oh, and I think she does that incredibly well. Like she, like I, this is again when I, when I saw it, I'm just like fuck this is the best performance i've seen and i don't know if it's going to be top there are a lot of contenders but yeah. i don't think for me for me it never got better than kristen stewart i think that she no. gave her all and she gave me what is to me the best performance of 2022 she's someone who i sincerely hope captures gold tomorrow i don't think it's gonna happen but i really hope she does yeah i mean and obviously i put her as my best female i mean she's the highest female on my list and the highest male so i mean we both had the same yeah. um like i said i mean it, it, it's just it's just a fantastic performance and uh, she really just you just you pay attention when she's on the screen man it's it's she the whole entire range of, of care the range of what she goes through throughout yeah. the whole entire film just something else all right so that's gonna do it for the show uh russell and you're gonna plug before head out yeah you guys can find us notorious by chance on facebook we're looming in on 500 members so spread the love spread the word uh have them join us man now 500 is a big milestone uh we love putting this on and uh more things to come, obviously, uh, this year. Uh, also can find us YouTube, Notorious by Chance. 
If I'm with you, Twitter, Instagram, Chance Wars underscore 91, check the Mutual Gishmodem where I compete. We just had, uh, I just had my debut on Friday Night Titans for a pay per view. That match will be published, I think, this week, potentially. I'm not positive, but it'll be, it'll be debuting on the YouTube channel for free soon. If you want to check it out there, please do. It's a great match, great events. I love doing the show. And yeah, it's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of Movie March. <laughs>